0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and we are fresh off WWE Elimination Chamber and less than 40 days away from WrestleMania 40. So as always, we have an absolute ton to break down on today's show. Not only will we be providing you with a second look at Elimination Chamber, not only will we be going over the WrestleMania 40 card, but we're gonna break down everything that happened across SmackDown and Raw that we have not otherwise discussed on the podcast. And if you're wondering, Silver King, when would you have discussed that? Well, there were a ton of SmackDown elements this past Saturday morning in our WWE Elimination Chamber Instant Analysis Podcast. Make sure you did not miss that show. But we do have a bunch to talk about today and a ton of DMs, emails, Spotify comments, a ton of stuff to discuss on today's show. So let's not waste any more time getting into it. Off the top, allow the Silver King to remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about Define. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being a mark for the Silver King, for vintage Chris Vanini, who will join us momentarily, and the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave some five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. And we do get some comments on our Spotify episodes as well, occasionally. So allow me to read one that we got from Mike spelled M-Y-K-E shorter. He said, I never miss an episode. Salute Adam Silverstein and Chris Vanini. The podcast was in my top play the last two years. I check in weekly. I love what they do and I love their perspectives. So we usually don't go to the Spotify stuff since technically they're not five-star reviews. But if you leave comments there. We do read them and we'll try to get them integrated into the show. So, Mike, shout out and an acknowledgement for you.
1: Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge.
0: Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. It's also where you can send us questions and comments for the show either via DM or email, Uh, but we read them and I know it's been a few weeks now and I've said, hey, we have all these questions and comments from you guys, and we want to get them into the show, but we don't have time. Today's the day. So if you've written us recently, whether via Twitter or through email, gettingoverpod at gmail.com, there's a very good chance you got into today's show. And if you didn't, I probably responded to you individually or you're set up for a future episode. So we appreciate all of the interaction. We love our getting overheads. Speaking of getting overheads. I happen to love the number Five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official Getting Overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash over, sign up, you'll get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling, instant recaps for Raw, NXT, Dynamite, and SmackDown every single week, along with exclusive news posts. And even though that venue right now is not used for this purpose, if you do have questions or comments for the show, and you submit them on slash getting over. I promise you there's a pretty damn good shot. They're going to get into the show because you support us and we, of course, will support you. So, with that out of the way, Chris, let's get into the show. We have a ton to get to today, as we always seem to on these Tuesday episodes. I got to tell you, you know, when we do this show, the goal is 90 minutes, but we have not come anywhere close to that in recent weeks. We will see if we can somehow manage to get in or around that time timeframe uh, on today's episode. But we have the Elimination Chamber second look and a ton more to discuss. How are you feeling in general about the WWE product coming out of Elimination Chamber and Raw on Monday night?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I saw a lot of um, criticism kind of from people outside of the WWE fan base that there wasn't enough wrestling on the show, that you didn't have Cody, Roman, Rob, so Seth, all these people yeah. wrestling on the show. Um, And yet, I think the fact that they sold out of 52,000, had 52,000 fans (laughs) in a stadium, we graded the show a B-plus. The crowd seemed to be absolutely berserk. I think that just kind of highlights just how hot WWE is right now, that they can get away with doing stuff like that. And there's no better time to have your product what it is
0: uh, at this time of year. I think the key, actually putting that in context, is that they didn't sell out a stadium and then not deliver people. They continuously sold tickets like thousands a week or at least hundreds a week. I don't I don't know the exact numbers up until the show, despite none of those people being advertised. That's the context you need. And in terms of amount of wrestling on a show, I mean, I didn't watch that show and say, oh, my God, there wasn't enough wrestling. I We got two 35 minute ish elimination chamber matches, a great tag team match, a solid kickoff show match. And an extremely strong main event. I was not wanting for wrestling. Now, if there was one additional match, would that have been better? Sure. And if, you know, a couple of the matches were slightly better work rate wise, would that have been better? Sure. But I mean, I wasn't left wanting anything Saturday morning.
2: Yeah, no, the only moment I thought this is kind of dragging is when we got about 10 minutes worth of Cody and Seth entrances. Yes. uh, For about a 20 minute promo segment that, kind of, sort of didn't really do anything, which we talked about
0: on the incident analysis. But Cody got like a WrestleMania entrance. But at the same time, if if neither he nor Rollins are going to compete, Rollins not cleared to compete, Cody probably more than anything protecting him, right? And you don't have The Rock and you don't have CM Punk due to injury and you don't have Roman Reigns because he doesn't travel anywhere, then okay. And you don't have Gunther because he has a visa issue. Then if you want to indulge the Cody entrance, and the crowd went crazy exactly. for it. The crowd went crazy yes. for Seth Rollins They singing his song. So why is that bad? Exactly. No, it's like, not.
2: You, you still had to deliver them Cody and Seth, and they liked it. Like, they loved it. Our, our perspective as viewers watching it at 3 in the morning, uh, 4 in the morning, was different than if you're yes. there in the stadium. You want to see Cody. You want to see Seth. They got him in some form. Would it have been nice if they wrestled? Yes, of course. Yeah. But uh, crowd seemed to still very much... Uh, enjoy
0: it. Now, that's a great segue into our WWE Elimination Chamber second look. This is not going to be overly extended or anything like that, but we have a ton of segments, obviously, on today's show. We have this, we have some news to discuss, the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the last word. At some point, we're going to look at the WrestleMania 40 card as well. So let's just get into all of it. And again, we'll start with that Elimination Chamber second look. We're just going to go kind of not every match by match when I say that, uh, but we'll break down a few and just some other things I picked up on rewatch that perhaps we did not get a chance to mention, at least not in full on our instant analysis show. And by the way, that is waiting for you. I loved that show. We got some great comments on it. If you missed the Elimination Chamber Instant Analysis, be sure to check it out in the podcast feed. Women's Elimination Chamber. I'm not understanding why some people didn't like this match. I'm actually upgrading it. I think I said four stars A-minus when we watched it live. I'm at 4.25 stars and an A. There was some clunkiness early and I pointed that out in the instant analysis. I've been wholly unimpressed with Naomi's wrestling since she returned. She just seems to be like a full step slower than the best women in the division. And I think these like two years away have uh, given the given the talent that the WWE women's division now possesses, that is more of a stark contrast than perhaps it was previously. But like I said, despite her clunkiness in the beginning, I'm finding this match to be severely underrated. There were some fantastic sequences in here, plenty of chaos. We got a fun triple threat finish with the one-two punch pinfall. Really, my biggest regret is I didn't notice watching live that Becky Lynch was wearing Scott Hall Outsiders tribute gear with the blood dripping down. And I also Ooh. saw someone point out Tiffany Stratton was apparently dressed as super gymnast Barbie, which obviously is not something I would have caught, but was certainly a reference that I'm sure some women liked or people who play with Barbies liked. So uh, there you go. Did you have anything else on the women's chamber?
2: Nope. Again, just repeating what I said, which was I thought it was a spectacular match. Yeah. Um,
0: Second best match on the card. Totally delivered. Like the finish. Really, really good stuff. Uh, I finally got to see the Austin Theory deal counting his abs, and he was doing it at the end of Seth Rollins' entrance. I just didn't see it live, because probably because I had my head down typing notes. Sometimes I miss little things. That's why I do this, Mm -hmm. because I'm typing. Um, That was hysterical. I also skipped over a great line from Grayson Waller, who, while introducing Cody, said that he had the American education system to thank for his inability to finish a story. It's a great (laughs) frickin' line, and especially doing that in Australia. That's funny, too. It was cool that the crowd actually knew Cody Rhodes entire first verse, not just the intro to kingdom. You could hear them singing the entire verse, uh, not that dissimilar from Chris and Judas. I thought that was really cool. But not only that, I laughed watching it back that Cody literally had the same pyro for just making his entrance that Drew McIntyre got for winning Elimination Chamber. And Drew did have a funny comment on Twitter after the show, like, you know, when you win Elimination Chamber, they give you a portion of Cody's pyro budget, but it was almost identical pyro, and I just thought that was hysterical.
2: Yep, I saw that
0: uh, comment from Drew as well.
2: Yeah, like like we said, they gave Cody the full-on treatment, even if he wasn't wrestling.
0: Here's the big takeaway I had from that segment, though, and it's the way that Cody phrased his reference when he was talking about the post-Royal Rumble SmackDown. Here's what he said, quote, I'm sure one thing The Rock wouldn't want to talk about is the conversation we had that led us to this point, why I stepped out of the WrestleMania main event just to step back in. And you'll remember he was then interrupted by Grayson Waller talking about people's champion bullshit. Cody wasn't saying there that he was simply going to explain it. He made a point to note that something happened in the conversation that The Rock does not, or at least would not want to get out. So while we're obviously clamoring for that plot hole to be closed, and we mentioned on Saturday's instant analysis that it was not closed, I believe, Chris, that there was intentionality with the way Cody phrased that. And it makes me believe, especially given what happened on Raw Monday night, we'll talk about that in a moment, that this is going to be a purposeful, Plot point in the feud, and they are planning to close it.
2: Yeah, like I mean, I don't think you drop that if you're not planning to come back to it. Mm -hmm. And it's the biggest question. It's the one major plot hole we've had in this entire time. Why did Cody jump out, come back in, and then weeks later not tell us why? Right. Um, And if 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 now they're giving us a reason that he didn't tell us why. That is another like half step toward mm-hmm. getting that answer. So, positive development, even if it was again only kind of a half step. Half step. Yeah. Um, Maybe a quarter step, but that, actually. Yeah. That combined, but I tell you, that combined with challenging The Rock to a one on one match, to me, continues to have The Rock overshadow Roman Reigns here. It does. Yeah. Uh, it, it is weird that he's challenging The Rock before he's even fought Roman Reigns. Uh, Chris, I, who's again, being I'm promoted?
0: Sure get- Chris, who's being promoted for the next three Raws? I mean, for the next three Smackdowns. Let me do that again. Chris, who's being promoted for the next three Smackdowns? I'll tell you who. It's not Roman Reigns. They're promoting The yeah. Rock appearances, not the Bloodline. The Rock. Really interesting. And again, like.
2: Very easy way to transition that into Rock Roman because Rock's overshadowing Roman. Mm -hmm. But it is surprising to to lean into that so heavily before we've even done Cody Roman. We haven't had we've barely had Cody and Roman face to face uh, since all this. It's been Rock Cody. So,
0: you know, they got. Yeah, we've only had them (laughs) We've only had them face to face in October on that SmackDown, that moment that we absolutely loved with Nick Aldis and then at the WrestleMania kickoff event.
2: That's it. Well, and at the moment that Cody said, I wasn't coming for you
0: at WrestleMania. Oh, right. Where he, That was almost the opposite of face-to-face. That was like walking yeah. backwards. Yeah. <laughs> but good point. Yeah. Good point. So, yeah.
2: you know, there's less than 40 days now to Mania,
0: they got some, they got some work to do with, they do with Cody and Roman. And despite, you know, me finding, I guess, the intentionality of what Cody said here, none of that explains why Roman Reigns told Waller, I have something for your ears only. and. That was not shared in the segment. So, you know, maybe that is something we'll find out Friday, but who knows? Uh, The men's chamber, I'm actually going to bring it down a little bit to four stars A minus, mostly due to the two interference falls. The match was still fantastic. And I loved, I think I mentioned how the guys were soaking wet because it was humid there and they just looked exhausted, which really sold the torture that, you know, the elimination chamber structure can provide. But the interference falls, it did lessen the quality of the match, even if it didn't lessen my enjoyment of the match. But you had Logan Paul's punch, that came in really late after his elimination. A lot of stuff happened between him getting eliminated and him punching, which means they just didn't take him out of the structure. But the story of the match was great. I get the reasoning to develop WrestleMania feuds. Commentary was also really strong, selling the finish, which was a positive. And I was left wondering whether Randy Orton injuring his back and Drew McIntyre beating him had some kind of double meaning because now he's obviously fighting Seth Rollins, a guy who's been selling an injured back for six months. So I don't know if there's something there or not, but it was something I noticed.
2: I tell you, my dad texted me yesterday. He said, uh, I heard Randy Orton got hurt, uh, his back. So, <laughs> you know, we, uh, we, we praised the sell job by both Randy and commentary on the show. And, uh, clearly it worked to, yeah. to only casual people, uh, who aren't fully paying attention. So props to everybody involved, but I would assume Randy is okay considering he
0: continued the match and, and everything else. In terms of the main event, Rhea Ripley, her entrance is so much better with actual pyro. I know they do the concussion pyro sound to punctuate her entrance on TV, but she needs the visual pyro going off. I don't know why her entrance isn't like a Brock Lesnar or a Batista or something like that. WWE is not strapped for cash. They bring pyro in for Cody Rhodes entrances. So why can't Rhea get the same treatment, at least for her matches? I don't get that. And I also want to double down on being impressed with Nia Jax. During the count, she told Rhea that she loved her. Like, you could see her lips moving and saying that. And I also loved how Ripley, like, shoved her head to the side defiantly, which was an acknowledgement of, like, you know, thank you, like a sweet like gesture. But also, in kayfabe, returned disrespect for all the slaps that Nia had given her over the last couple of weeks when she attacked her. But those, me being impressed with Naya has nothing to do with her saying, um, I love you or congrats or whatever she said Uh, to Rhea. I just was putting all those together. But I I did tweet a, a video of that elbow drop off the desk chair. And Chris, I remain immensely impressed by that. If I have something on like a high shelf in my house or I need to get to something in my office, I would never stand on my desk chair to do that. It is flimsy it's on that single pole. You know, it's it's scary to do. I, I wouldn't do it for anything. Here she is doing a wrestling move off of it. I just thought that was so impressive.
2: Yeah, I, I went back and watched this too. It did start off a bit clunky. Uh, Nia didn't sell the Hurricane Rana, right? There were a couple yeah, selling she issues messed that at up. the beginning. But they did definitely pick it up and get in the flow as things went on. And Nia and, and did a really good job. And look, this was and probably will be the biggest match of Nia Jax's career, probably a main event stadium show. She's probably never getting that again. And I thought she did a, a solid job in that spot. Again, you know, two months after a really good match with Becky Lynch at day one. So she is absolutely uh, doing her job much better uh, this time around.
0: And and that's good because the division needed somebody like that. No doubt about it. Now we posed a couple of questions in our instant analysis about Australia, the crowd, whole bunch of stuff. So we got a ton of emails, DMs, tweets, comments, and we're going to go through them pretty much right now. But the first has nothing to do with Australia. It comes from Brett Charles Malam at Brett underscore Malam. He says, with Corey Graves doing play-by-play now, isn't it a bit odd to have two play-by-play guys doing the PLEs instead of bringing in Wade Barrett or Pat McAfee? So in theory, if WWE was following the same formula they were previously, then yes, it should be Michael Cole and Wade Barrett for the PLEs, the main play-by-play man and the opposite shows color commentator. But just because Graves does play-by-play now doesn't change the fact that he's been doing color commentary for eight years and he knows how to do that. Really, I think PLEs are the only types of shows that could actually benefit from a three-man booth. Like, and for WrestleMania, it could be four, but meaning one person alternates. So you have Michael Cole and Corey Graves permanently, and then Wade Barrett and Pat McAfee rotate based on the match. If it's a SmackDown match, one is on. If it's a Raw match, the other is on. But I think Cole and Graves, if you're going to do a two-man PLE booth, totally fine. I would actually prefer Barrett just because it allows Graves to kind of stick to his play-by-play, but I didn't see an issue with it. No, I didn't see an issue with it either. I I mean, Graves has
2: been their top color guy for the last several years. And Cole is the top play by play guy. It's early. We're in the middle of commentary changes that just happened. Right. So I'm not reading too much into it yet. I'm curious how mania goes, um, especially for an international show and, and that types of stuff. I, I, I didn't want to, I, I didn't have any hard opinions on it yet. Other than I always prefer, two-man boots to one, Mm -hmm. that was a positive. To three. Two to to three, and that was a positive. Well,
0: I would assume for this, by the way, Pat McAfee was not flying over there given all of his other responsibilities. And Wade Barrett, it's very possible they gave him the option and he said, no, I'd rather stay home. Or I'd rather go back to England for a little bit or whatever the case might be. So, you know, tough to say. Now, a listener of ours in Australia who just wants to go by Jack sent a lengthy note coming out of Elimination Chamber. Here are some abbreviated comments. He said, great instant analysis. I've been listening for a while. Thank you guys have one of the best podcasts in the business. He said, you need to put in perspective when we were talking about the start time at 6 p.m. in Perth, that it started at 9 p.m. in Sydney and on the East Coast of Australia, Mm. which is why it didn't start later. It would have been better for us Americans if it started at 7 or 8 p.m. in Perth, because then we could have woken up at a more normal hour. But then it would have been super late for literally the other half of the continent that is more populous than the half of the continent that this was actually held on. So That makes sense. So what he said is, look, you know, it's great to do a show in Perth. They paid a lot of money for it. Cool. But it's a lot more palatable for Australians if they just do it on the other side of the country in Sydney or somewhere like that in the future. He also noted that audio was really poor in their stadiums compared to like NFL stadiums in the United States. He said Grayson Waller needs to be used a lot more. The dude's great. He has a colleague who had a media opportunity with him and LA Knight in Perth, and Grayson was leaps and bounds better doing things on the fly and was also great in character. And then regarding the Aussie, Aussie, Aussie uh, chance, he said they're not done at regular sporting events. But just like we thought on the uh, incident analysis, they are done at international games where Aussies are particularly outnumbered by other nations. He said it is stereotypical, but it also rallies them together. And we had a number of other Aussies chime in on this topic. And what's funny is everyone gave us like slightly different answers. So we had ads, (laughs) Theo at ads, Theo on Twitter said the same about it being for international events, but he added that a lot of fans and country men and women find it annoying and cringy. Then we have proud Aussie at Matt Levy or Levy 74, who I believe is a new listener said it's absolutely hated by a majority of sports-loving fans, and some find it bewildering that people chant it so much. Then Mick Johnston at under, Mick underscore Johnston, he's a longtime listener. Uh, we do have a surprisingly significant number of Aussies and New Zealanders who listen to us, but I digress. I was going to say, yeah, we did. That's really cool to hear. To and hear this is from four. Yeah, this is four, and just people that wrote in because we asked a question. So and, and there's awesome. more than that, but I know there's a lot more than that. But still, uh, he said that. It actually, the chant originates from cricket matches back in the 80s. And while it is cliche, most Aussies really don't have a problem jumping up and doing it when they hear it, especially in the right setting. And he felt that WWE was probably the right setting for it. So if you were wondering about the chant, just like we were, there's four people giving you an answer, Chris. Any thoughts uh, on that?
2: Yeah, I got a couple tweets about that as well. It's interesting to see that there is a mix of opinion. So, so there isn't one specific answer. That's good yeah. to know. That was the context we were missing. The Grayson Waller, LA Knight thing. I can confirm. I had that exact experience talking to both Grayson Waller and LA Knight at the SummerSlam tryout back in the summer. Grayson Waller is so good improvising on the fly. Again, that's why I've been that's why I've been singing his praises. I've seen it. He can just go, 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 go with anything you give him, uh, and he's really talented, dude. And the time makes sense because you think mm-hmm. about it when we have a la wrestlemania it's not starting at eight o'clock west coast time right you know it's starting at the normal time so that all does make sense in terms of the timing of why they did it for all of australia because until this event i didn't realize i guess one how big australia is and Mm. how far away perth is from from sydney and the east coast so
0: i learned a lot about australia both from this show and from our listeners so we thank you i did know that it was three hours away because I was doing like the time before they came out with that whole chart of like, when is it going to air in the United States? I was like, well, if they do it at eight in Perth, it's going to be at this time in the United States. But, and I knew it was three hours across the the continent, but I didn't really consider that a, you know, 5 p.m. start or a, sorry, a 6 p.m. start. Is a nine PM start, like working backwards, because I live on the east coast of the United States. So I always think with that east coast mentality, and it's the exact same thing over there. It's like three, three and a half hours, and it's the same type of issue. So, um, yeah, you're right. Educated a lot on uh, Aussies and the culture. On that note,
2: and some go look up the Australia time zones. They are insane. They, they made no sense. <laughs> yeah, there's like 30 minute ones in there. They're like up and down. It's crazy. What's really it's, it's crazy. A funny tra- well, a funny know, chart that I see every once in a while. This reminded me
0: of that. what's also really crazy is like, you might think, oh, well, New York, Los Angeles, there's a ton of stuff between them, right? There's <laughs> the entirety of the United States is obviously between those two major cities. There is nothing in the middle of Australia. So there's people, and I don't think many do. I think, I think like Cargo trains are, are primarily used, and I could be wrong about this, to go east, west coast, west coast, east coast when it comes to like shipping supplies and things like that. But people don't just like drive across the continent or drive across the country because it takes so long. It's like 24, 30 hours longer than that. And so people fly. But I was talking to a couple of people who live in, in and around Sydney, actually people at my work who live in Australia and I was like, do you ever go to Perth? It seems beautiful. And they're like, I've lived here my whole life. I've been there twice. And that's wild, right? Like you would think, no, nah, I don't travel a lot in the United States. But if you're someone who, if the United States was less, I don't want to say that we're centralized, but obviously Canada is right on top of us. Mexico is right below us. It's not that far of a trip to get to Europe. It's not terrible to, let's say, get to like Hawaii or something like that you know, you're going to move around a lot and people will go on vacations and go to islands in the Caribbean and things like that. But if you're in Australia and I know there's New Zealand and I know that you can go to the Asian countries, but you would think just going to the other side of your continent would be pretty common. Apparently it's not that common. So I found that to be super interesting. Just learning that like a large portion of Australia is just desert and outback and just nothing there. Um, so yeah, I just found it interesting where Perth is, and how isolated it is compared to what I thought it was, you know, coming into it. Uh, But Mick Johnston also wrote in about our Tiffany Stratton question, how over she was in Perth and like explaining that. He said there's only one cable provider in Australia, and it has all of the WWE content with NXT just as readily available as Raw and SmackDown. So he thinks it's a combination of that and the fact that the stadium was filled with like starved, hardcore WWE fans who are mo- more predisposed to know Tiffany Stratton than you would get at like a Cleveland, Ohio arena show in the United States. I thought that made a lot of sense when it came to the explanation of why Tiffy was so freaking over in Perth. Interesting. Yeah.
2: Th- that, that would make sense. It, it, it was really good. It was really cool to see. And uh, it stood out. Again, I, she, was, she and Liv were the MVPs of that Elimination Chamber match. So
0: good that she was getting some love for it. We also got a DM from... Either Sharon Shaked or Sharon Shaked, I'm going to guess it's Sharon or Sharon Shaked Six on Twitter, wrote in from Israel saying that we have a great podcast and explained the issue with the Suez Canal and the Elimination Chamber not being able to get there. It's related to the Gaza conflict. They're like, apparently the pirates are an Islamic radical movement from Yemen, and that's what they're doing to kind of make their issues known. Kind of interesting that a political conflict in the Middle East somehow affected a WWE show in Australia. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. Also, Justin Hubbard at J Hub 93. He was one of a handful of listeners, and we don't really put ourselves over in this way, but he wrote in specifically saying that the. Ah! My hole! That drop during the Rhea Ripley breakdown on the instant analysis caught him off guard and like really popped him and made him laugh. So. You're welcome. That's pretty much all I have to say. Uh, got got
2: a few got a few tweets about the my whole uh, people loved it. So good on you for dropping yeah. that. I wasn't ready for it. Either,
0: and either by the, the way, they did that spot on Raw Monday night. She didn't say my whole, but we'll we'll hear it again. A little teaser uh, for later in the show. I,
2: I, I had uh, I had one last my own sure. personal look back take on this. And that was that I really dug the theme. Uh, yes, we've been night. I know they I know they played it a million times, <laughs> but I never I never really got tired of it. Um, it's the band motionless and white that does Ray Ripley's theme. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I loved it so much more than the Royal Rumble theme and the weekend stuff we're getting for WrestleMania. Oh, so the weekend stuff. wanted to shout so that out because because we've talked about it and this was a really fun theme. It, it made the event feel bigger.
0: And that's what you want from a, a, a show theme. I'll repeat when it comes to the weekend WrestleMania themes. I don't like that. Yeah, not going to like them now, ever. Five years in a row, just enough of it. Now, we still have the main event the good, the bad, and the ugly, a WrestleMania 40 card breakdown, and the last word still to come.
1: But I'm afraid I've got some
0: bad news. And that is that Ole Anderson died Monday at age 81. Ole was obviously a legend and a Hall of Famer alongside the Four Horsemen, first as a wrestler, founding member of the stable and then eventually the manager of the Four Horsemen later on. He eventually became head booker of WCW for a short period of time, and he seemed to have issues with basically everyone in the industry at one point or another, many of them for good reason, let me point out. He had legitimate huge issues with Vince McMahon, who bought Ole's Georgia promotion out from under him with the Briscoes. You'll remember that story. So it was absolutely wild seeing a tribute to Ole Anderson on Raw. Like Ole literally told Vince fuck you to his face. And I almost kind of felt like WWE doing this on TV was another fuck you to Vince. Uh, Ric Flair announced his death on Monday. Obviously there were plenty of tributes to him online and there will be more throughout the week. Uh, Piper Niven reportedly has a broken hand according to Fightful, which is presumably why we have not seen her lately. I assume you know broken hands generally heal, I don't want to say fast, but quicker than some other Uh, Ligaments might, so maybe she'll be back by WrestleMania. I'm I'm saying what I'm saying is it's not impossible. Depending what kind of match they have on that show, I guess the rest of this isn't bad news. But there was bad news to start, so I figured I'd use that drop. Uh, Post Malone, the singer, rapper, entertainer, he's going to be in the WWE 2K24 video game alongside CM Punk, Jade Cargill, and Pat McAfee, others as well that are going to be part of something called a DLC release, which I guess is like an upgrade to the game once it comes out initially, something like that? I, I haven't yeah, owned a it's, video it's game. downloadable.
2: Chris. it's downloadable content.
0: Is it free? Do or do you have to pay for it?
2: Um, I believe you have to pay for it. Jeez. That's what the, they were hy- they were hyping up the season pass. And I saw someone this, actually this morning post that like some of those people like DVP, the WCW pack, I don't think is coming out until November,
0: which is kind of wild. But that's how video games work. So wait, so and with I, the, I, know, I know for video yeah. games that there's some games like the games where you walk around aimlessly and do stuff, I don't know what these are called. Uh, You guys can tell, look, I haven't owned a system since PlayStation 3. I only owned that as a DVD player because I got it really cheap. The last game I've owned, video game, is NCAA Football 14, which is the last edition of that game that's come out. So I have not had a system or played video games with any regularity since then, other maybe than like Nintendo um, Wii for a period of time. But, so I don't understand this. So I know there's some video games some of those games where you have to, like, pay to, like, upgrade weapons and do stuff like that. You're telling me regular, like, fighting games, like a WWE video game, you have to buy the game. And then if you want certain wrestlers, you have to buy packages on top of that after you own it? Yeah.
2: They're they're usually, it's like extra people who are not necessarily. Yeah, but CM regular. Punk and Jake like, Cargill are on the roster. Well, yes, but they built they made the game before they had before CM Punk had joined WWE. I mean, they CM Punk didn't come until November. You know, the game was mostly done by then. So it takes time to then get it all together and then Well, you know, sure, I understand that, that kind of but stuff. why can't
0: that be a free release? I mean, shouldn't that just I mean, be them saying
2: the case that you you can saying, make the
0: case that CM Punk and Jade,
2: or at least specifically CM Punk, should be free 100%, Yes. hundred percent. Totally. Now if absolutely. you want if you
0: want Pat McAfee and Post Malone to that's okay. That's those are celebrities, like, right?
2: Well, yeah, that's a joke. Get, by the way. I would not be surprised if this happens with the new college football video game, because that's what Madden has a lot of stuff like this. These microtransactions It's a big part it's of bullshit. video
0: game production now and players hate so it. So you have to spend, so you have to spend $500 for a system, $70 for the game. And you still don't get to play the entirety of the game. I, I, man, I'm glad I'm out of video games. I mean, that's a joke and stuff out there. I, I, I hope, I hope there's people who like play video games that are listening to this and like, what I'm saying is right. And they're like, yeah, Silver King, you tell them or something. Because I don't know. But like, to me, again, as someone who has not owned a system uh, or a game, I should say, since NCAA football 14. So we're talking a decade at this point. This is a wild, wild thing for me to understand. So, all right, let's move on. I, t- I tell you yeah. what, though, my, my brother texted me, he said
2: he's thinking about getting the game now because of all the promotion they've done for it. Uh, so it, it is working. Well, do you have a system? I only have Xbox 360 and PS2 and a Wii. I, again, just use them as, I play the old games, the old NCAA yeah. football games mostly. I am going to have to get a new one like you for the new NCAA football I feel games. like I have to.
0: I feel like I have to get a PS5 or whatever. And then I just saw that they, there was a story, you know, the PS5, they're going to stop updating it probably because the new one's going to come out soon and that one's going to be right. revolutionary. And yeah. it's like, so now, now you're finally coming out with the NCAA football game. I have to get a system and they're going to, introduce a new system the year after I finally buy one. It's like, how do people win? I mean, I remember this when I was a kid. You would get, you know, the Sega Genesis and the Nintendo and the Super Nintendo. And then all of a sudden the Sega Saturn came out. And yes, I was one of those people who actually bought the Sega Saturn and loved it. I was one of like a hundred people across the entire country that bought that system. But then that, you know, dies. And then you have to get N64 and then you have to get this. But at least those like continue to operate in their own like ecosystems now I don't even know. Like, I know it's PlayStation and Xbox, but I guess I get a PlayStation because I have a Sony TV. I have two Sony TVs. So there you go. Uh, We spent way too much time on that. Uh, Also, lastly, WWE changed up that triple stack logo that I shit on them for last week on Raw. Now it's a double stack. And guess what? It was much, much better. There were also some more production adjustments on Raw, including some fresh camera angles. But my biggest takeaway from Raw was this. Hour 3 was... Way better than hour one and hour two. I was shocked. They saved so much of their best stuff for the final 60 minutes of that show.
2: Yes. I I, I did look at the clock and realize, oh, it's like 9.20 already. And then everything else went by pretty quickly. Good, strong finish to the show. It is weird week to week just not having Rock and Roman on Raw on on half Mm the show while Cody is there. And he's usually not on SmackDown. You know, we know Rock's coming to the next several SmackDowns, but not Raw's. So
0: it's weird. Now, hopefully this is the last week where we spend this much time before we get into our primary segment on the WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. But nevertheless, folks, it is time for us to slide into the main event. This is the main event. And the main event this week is going to completely surround the heavyweight championship, let's call it division, the picture across SmackDown and Raw for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship and the World Heavyweight Championship. So let's start off with SmackDown, where Jimmy Uso was clowning his brother backstage to Roman Reigns, laughing about keeping him from winning the Intercontinental Championship. Reigns was entertained, but then realized he didn't give the order for that. And Jimmy said that Paul Heyman gave it with him running the play to perfection. Roman said Jimmy stooged Paul by tattling on him. And then he admitted it was actually his own call. He laughed and actually gave Jimmy credit, though he still refused to dap him up, just like Solo, uh, Sakoa refused to dap him up last week on Raw. I liked how this continued on the track of Reigns, like trying to raise the goodwill of the bloodline by acknowledging Jimmy's success. Because in the past, the Heyman part would have led to Reigns gaslighting Jimmy And kicking him out of the locker room for doing something wrong. Even better was that he still wouldn't dap him up. Jimmy was totally on point here. His character work has been excellent over the last couple of months. So there wasn't much that happened on SmackDown to actually advance this story. But from what we did get, it was extremely solid.
2: Yeah, you know, it it was weird, you know, because you could tell it was a week prior Salt Lake City. This is about all you could do. Mm -hmm. It was good to have a. It was good to have a Roman segment without Rock, though, because again. We kind of got to reestablish Roman a bit here.
0: True. So that worked. He, comes, he comes right back and The Rock is there with him. And it's just like, what about Roman Reigns? That's one of the problems with Roman being gone for four months. You know, if he was on the show consistently and then Rock came in, that's one thing. But them reappearing almost together, Rock immediately overshadows Reigns, as we've talked about previously on the podcast. Now, speaking of The Rock, on Monday, he announced he's going to appear at the next three SmackDowns. So Friday is already sold out. I think it was sold out before he made that announcement. Two weeks from now is in Dallas. I had to inform Chris of that earlier this week. He might get the chance to go to that show. But when Michael Cole was covering this development during Raw, he made it a point to wonder whether Rock would address Cody Rhodes' challenge before WrestleMania, the challenge made at Elimination Chamber. Cody then on Raw reiterated the challenge and said he was awaiting Rock's answer. So... Either they're actually going to run a match on TV or tease a match with them on TV and not deliver it, or this might somehow be the first step developing into the tag team match that we expect on night one. But even though right now it's Rock and Cody, they're still showing that like teaser WrestleMania 40 promo of both of them, Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns all you know, looking at each other. And I don't know why you would continue to run that if you're not going to do the tag team match we all expect on night one. Right.
2: It, it just it feels natural to do the tag team match. Um, but again, it's been a couple weeks and we, we haven't really kind of gotten back to it. So I, I don't know. I don't know what to expect from Raw. Like you said, uh, I didn't know SmackDown was in Dallas uh, next week until you told me. So I'm looking into going to that. Uh, and if I do, I will report on how that goes. Um, but it's it's good to have Rock on the next three SmackDowns. We have to have Rock Roman on TV as much as we can. Mm-hmm. If we really want this to feel like the biggest thing ever. Um, so that's that's a positive. It's good that he's on the next three SmackDowns. Doesn't bode
0: great for Raw. But I it is what it is i guess you know i don't even need the rock on raw i need roman reigns on raw yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's what i need so let raw do smackdown somebody. get reigns' ass over on monday night let him like, work cody cody on raw feels like he's just like in his own universe you know like, Yeah.
2: none of the stuff that's impacting him is happening on raw right? that
0: happened yeah. last year until we got to the final couple of weeks it was the same thing like yeah. it, it, it's it's really weird cuz like the things we want
2: to see happen the things we have are, are interested in are happening on smackdown without him, yeah. so you'd like to see them together more.
0: Absolutely, totally agree. So let's move to Raw, since we are talking about it. Drew McIntyre opened hour three, and this is what I meant when I said they saved so much of the great stuff for hour three. But McIntyre opened hour three saying, quote, we did it. Fans cheered. He thanked everyone for praying for him to get his match at WrestleMania, mix of cheers and booze. McIntyre said he was exhausted, claiming he actually got injured during the match. He busted his eardrum and he might not make WrestleMania. But then Drew puffed out his chest, saying he told the doctor, who do you think I am? CM Punk? Nothing's gonna stop me from making Mania. Then he sat down with a smirk on his face in pipe bomb position. And I tweeted a little bit of a tease to this episode. that the best line from Raw on Monday night, everyone watching missed. And I believe they did, because that line came here. So McIntyre sits down, he looks at the cameraman and he says like under his breath into the mic, don't shoot up my kilt, you perv. Like looking directly at the guy, but he said it under his breath. I thought that was hysterical. I started cackling. <laughs> I really just don't think people caught it. I like chortled. I laughed out loud. It I did. It was really funny. I did not catch it. Uh, he then told Punk through the camera that he drank twice as much alcohol for both of them, knowing that Punk is straight edge after his win while celebrating. Out came Seth Rollins giving Drew credit for winning his way back into the title match in front of a huge crowd, saying it's unfortunate that he's gonna be in the way of making McIntyre's dream possible. Drew told Seth to stop making everything harder on himself, that he's not 100%, he's not fully invested in the McIntyre storyline because he's in a totally unrelated battle with Cody Rhodes and the bloodline. McIntyre said as champion, all he would care about is Raw, and the title itself. Drew told Seth to back away from the bloodline situation, otherwise it would interfere, perhaps literally, with their match, either costing Rollins the title and overshadowing his own victory, or possibly just hurting both of them. Rollins said he appreciated McIntyre's take and respected him, but some risks are worth taking, even if Drew might ultimately be right. Rollins admitted to being selfish in his life and in his career, but said taking down the bloodline might be more important Because they will come for the World Heavyweight Championship eventually if they are not ended now. Rollins then posited, What if I'm fully healthy? What if I take down the bloodline and save the industry and then I beat you anyway? Then he closed with, Some risks are worth taking, repeating that line. McIntyre went from like shaking his head in total disagreement at the start of the segment to seemingly thinking that. Rollins may have made an ill-guided point at the end of it. That was kind of the body language I was getting from him. And Chris, I'm of two minds on this segment. The first is that McIntyre came off eons cooler than Rollins did. It's easily the best gimmick and the best character work that he's done in his entire career. Drew had the crowd buzzing, whereas Seth's promo, while it was completely necessary and mostly logical was kind of corny, almost as if he was trying to talk himself into believing in his own decision making, trying to talk himself into fighting a battle, or fighting a war, I should say, on two fronts, given that he's involved in a completely separate storyline while defending his title against a more than game contender in McIntyre. In kayfabe, it does not make sense for Rollins as a champion to be this distracted, giving he has such a tall task at hand. But that was likely the point of the segment, to show that his focus is not where it should be and he's leaving himself more prone than he maybe has been his entire reign because he's not focused on the primary task at hand. Even against Shinsuke Nakamura or other people when he was injured and having to battle through that, he had a single focus. Now he does not. But the fact is that Rollins is involved in two storylines. And that absolutely needed to be addressed in this feud. A much worse scenario would have been ignoring the reality of Rollins' kayfabe situation. And to that end, I thought Rollins did well explaining himself, even if, again, it was kind of corny, especially talking about saving the industry from the bloodline like they were zombies or something like that, that if they get past Cody Rhodes, they're going to devour everyone else in their path. McIntyre was the star of the segment with his opening promo and how he dismissed Seth with his body language in the second half of it. It would have been nice if this happened earlier during Raw so that the crowd was a little bit hotter. They saved their best stuff for hour three, as I mentioned, which was odd, but I'd say that this did its job moving us forward until next week, and clearly, there is still a lot of storyline left for them to share before we get to WrestleMania. I thought this was so weird and took everything backwards. Interesting. First,
2: but first, Drew by himself was great. That was the highlight. Completely ruthless. I don't think it looked like he'd never sat in Indian style before. Like he almost didn't even know how to do it. Or at least his legs. I think his legs big. were too
0: big. I think his thighs <laughs> were too big. Yeah. To do
2: it. But like, it's kind of like the Cody rock thing where it's like, I, I want to see Drew CM Punk right now. You know, like that, that story when it happens, is going to be Nuclear that it, 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 nuclear it's going to be crazy so like he keeps getting in the shots but then he pivots he's like all right now on to more important stuff mm-hmm. so like he's keeping it alive but he's clearly taking a, a step over to the South Rollins thing I didn't understand what the hell South Rollins was talking about yes he is distracted yes he is dealing with two different things but he shouldn't be the one saying that it sounded like he was making excuses for his eventual loss. Yes, it should correct. be Drew. It should be Drew McIntyre saying it should be him saying you're not focused, you're he distracted, did say that. and I'm going to beat you because of that, right? But but it, it makes sense to come from Drew. It doesn't make sense to come from Seth. It was so well, he had to
0: answer it though. Weird. Well, I'm I'm a little confused. What? I'm a little confused at your take. Let me interrupt you because Drew did bring it up. The only reason that this was a topic was because Drew said, you're not giving us 100% of your focus to the World Heavyweight Championship and me, and that is going to cost you. So once he says that, yeah. Rollins has to reply. Rollins has to
2: reply with, no, I'm not. Like, the, 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 But he just is.
0: Ignore. Even... What, what do you mean? He isn't 100% focused on it. In, re, in, right, K, in he, kayfabe, he's legitimately not totally focused on McIntyre. I know, but I don't want to hear him say that. He
2: needs to be like, no, this is the most important thing to me. Even though we know it's not, even though we know he's in different things, he's trying to convince himself that he's not. So distracted. you want
0: him but, as a character yeah. to be oblivious to the fact that he's stretching himself too thin. Yes. You want him to be confident. Yeah, that, that, and that was, you want him to be so confident that he says, it, uh, what I'm doing with them doesn't concern you because I'm going to take care of you anyway. It, yes.
2: It made this feud feel less important. Because Seth is admitting, yeah, I've got the rock and Roman Reigns over here that I'm focused on. This is like, you know, this is may or may not be as important. And that was just that felt Hmm. weird. And then the line that they need to stop the bloodline was it doesn't fit. It would have worked last year when they had two world titles and the tag team titles and they were beating up everybody. Hmm. They're barely on TV right now. Roman's on every once a month. The Rock just came back and he's barely on. Save save them from what? They're not here running roughshod over WWE. The idea that they needed to like work together at some point and to take out the bloodline just didn't work. It would have worked last year, that argument. That's why Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn and Cody Rhodes, like they had to band together because the bloodline was taking out all of them. That's not really happening here. It kind of happened with Jay but like it's not so I didn't buy that when Seth, Interesting. I like everything that Seth said in this promo just felt off and weird. And it left me very much less interested and excited in Seth versus Drew. Drew got me hyped up for it. Seth
0: was just, the whole thing was, didn't didn't hit with me. I agree with that latter point that this was certainly not Rollins' best promo. And he did not do as great of a job selling what Drew McIntyre laid up for him. Like Drew McIntyre laid it up for Rollins to slam at home, which is what these segments usually are when you do a confrontation. Someone makes a point and then the babyface or the heel, depending which side is the one laying it up, has a chance to just deliver and knock it out of the park. And Rollins didn't really do that. I didn't think the content was strong, but I think the angle makes sense. And that angle is that whereas Cody is focused on Roman Reigns and yeah, The Rock is involved and he knows that he and we'll get to that in a moment, needs to deal with the entire bloodline. Rollins is involved in something that is completely unrelated to them, yet has involved himself in that because of the entire who is Cody going to choose for his WrestleMania opponent shtick. Once Cody says, I'm not choosing you, Seth, like in that moment at the WrestleMania kickoff, getting his back was fine. But we still need to understand why now Seth feels like he needs to be this involved in it. And like you said, ending the bloodline, it made them sound like they were like a virus or like zombies and they were gonna come and just destroy Raw once they finished destroying SmackDown. You're right, that was more plausible last year when they were actually running roughshod over the entire company. If you're gonna tell that story now, you need to add the rock element into it. The rock that we got at the WrestleMania kickoff, not the rock that we got last Friday or two Fridays ago, I should say, on SmackDown. The rock that is going to mess with Triple H, The Rock who might try to exert some creative control and make things happen his way. And maybe we see that Friday. And maybe it's just as simple as this promo came one week too early. And it's certainly possible that that's the case. But The Rock just being a heel and just being around is not enough of a threat. We need The Rock actively trying to screw up plans and change plans and add a special guest referee to a match or a stipulation or whatever the case might be, do things that Paul Heyman might do, but with more authority because he's actually on the board of directors. So I, I agree with you where this kind of felt like it was out of place and almost like a step too far. And as I mentioned, corny, but I also think it accomplished what it wanted to accomplish, what it needed to accomplish, which was A, addressing the facts of the situation that Rollins is fighting a war on two different fronts. And secondly, that McIntyre recognizes that and is going to take advantage of that situation even if Rollins doesn't think he will or be able to. Yes, yes. Like, I'd love Drew to have come out and said
2: like, I know you wanted to fight CM Punk. You thought you were going to fight CM Punk, but you got me and I'm way,
0: I'm way more scary than CM Punk and you yes. need to fear me, yada, yada, yeah. yada, that type of stuff. And by the way, it's slightly hypocritical too because McIntyre is spending a ton of time focused on CM Punk who isn't even there. And then he's talking about Rollins after that. He should be 100% focused on Seth Rollins. So they keep calling him a hypocrite. And that's part of his hypocritical nature right now. Now, you know, we've heard that CM Punk is going to be around. What does that mean? I don't know. That's actually something we'll talk about a little bit later in today's show. But it's worth noting that he is still firmly on McIntyre's lips. And I certainly do not mean it uh, in that manner. (laughs) that You might take it.
1: Look good, but she's got me saying,
0: hey now! His name is on his tongue, I should say. Uh, but regardless, let's go ahead and move on with what else happened Monday night on Raw. So Jay Uso backstage cut a promo saying he was gonna keep showing up and being main event Jay Uso, even though the Intercontinental title slipped through his fingers. He talked about falling short every time he came close to accomplishing something. And what bothered me here is that he didn't fall short. Jimmy Uso cost him the title but he didn't say anything about Jimmy. And I just didn't understand that. So then McIntyre walked up saying that he's in a good place now, but he can relate to what Jay is going through from the bottom of his heart. He deserved what happened to him. Jay attacked, they brawled and then it got broken up. So I have the problem with the no mention of Jimmy, but this is a generational hater run by McIntyre right now. He shits on CM Punk even after winning the chamber. Then he confronts Jay and shits on him, despite already beating him, and he does it right after Jay loses an Intercontinental title match. Between Drew, AJ Styles flying halfway around the world, Carmelo Hayes in NXT with Trick Williams, Nigel McGuinness is doing some hater shit over in AEW. We may need to do a hater of the year award or something for the meaties in 2024. These guys are running wild right now, but it's Drew leagues above anyone else. He's easily the most compelling heel in WWE, And he absolutely needs to win this damn title at WrestleMania. Completely agree. It it was weird not
2: to follow up on the Jimmy stuff. That definitely stuck out.
0: All right. So Rhodes pointed out backstage that Waller, Grayson Waller should like him because he's made major news both times he's been on his show. Now he gets to main event Raw against him. Waller later got a profile video package to basically pump him up and tell people on Raw who he is because he's usually on SmackDown before the match. I thought Mm -hmm. that was smart. Then before the match... Waller refused to accept that Rhodes really brought much positive to his show because he disrespected him in his home country. Waller said he did his best to protect Austin Theory, which led to Theory giving him a side eye for the remainder of this segment. And then he promised Cody would never finish the story. But again, Theory just kept staring him down. Now we're going to move on to the match, but I just like that they didn't let the Waller Theory stuff go and they're keeping it in the storyline. So we had Cody against Waller. Before the quick commercial break, Cole exclaimed that online rumors were true. Paul Heyman was seen backstage. Now, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Reddit during the show a little bit, but primarily Twitter. And I only look at my feed. So I'm not looking at like the common fan. I don't mean it that way. I don't look at my For You page is what I'm trying to say. But I didn't see any online rumors leading to that. And usually, if something's gonna happen on TV, I'll spot it. I didn't scoops at EJ Maroon, who a longtime listener, he sent me a screenshot of Heyman lurking behind Waller and Theory in that aforementioned segment. I missed it. So good spot by him and good job by WWE taking one of those backstage, you know, background type of deals and turning it into a storyline to get people to stay tuned to the show. That was very smart. I, I, I didn't see it until WWE tweeted
2: of video of it. And I went back and I was like, oh, okay. I totally
0: missed it. Yeah, I totally missed it. So in the match, Rhodes hit a disaster kick before Theory distracted, only to eat a Tope Suicida back inside. He hit a Cody Cutter and Crossroads and got the win with eight minutes left on Raw. It was a super quick match on either side of the break. And really fast, Chris. It was whatever. Like it seemed like they built up a decent amount only to not actually give us much wrestling. I kind of wanted to see them go, but my guess is they're just trying to limit Cody in the ring and just protect him. And that's really a smart move.
2: Yeah. Uh, I, I really like that. They did the Grayson Waller vignette. Like I said, you, you got to remind us who these people are, especially when they've barely wrestled uh, on TV. So it was a good job to give you a reason to take Grayson Waller seriously instead of just being the talk show guy. So very good on that match was what it was. You didn't expect a whole ton out of it. Um, I, I, I liked it at the beginning they posted their WWE 2K ratings: Cody a ninety something, Grayson Waller a seventy something, which did kind of set the tone for how one sided this yes. was going to be, and that That's it was. Fair. So, so like it kind of worked in that sense, even though even though you could argue that the video game rating kind of devalued the vignette we got of him earlier. But I don't care; I liked it. Um, so yeah, it, the match ends. I look at I look at my clock. It's nine fifty two, and I'm like. Well, something's happening. Right, exactly.
0: So, so yeah. Paul Heyman enters after the bell to no music with three relatively small guys in all black suits. Rhodes immediately grabs a steel chair and a microphone, He dares the bloodline to come and get him if it's a setup. Paul said he's the only member of the bloodline there, and the guys with him were suspended NYPD officers. Heyman said he understood it was insulting to get Will Smith like Rhodes did, but Cody needs to take The Rock's name out his friggin' mouth, nice reference. Heyman said, Rhodes doesn't get to go and just challenge The Rock, and he asked him to reconsider. Pretty pleased with the cherry on top, or else. Cody said, or else what? Then he went on a rant saying the only reason he hasn't trashed The Rock to fans, and in the media, was out of respect for The Rock moving tickets, because that's how his family made their livelihood, and they both understood coming from wrestling families that something like that needs to be respected, And someone's accomplishments in the business should not be, you know, disrespected and insulted. So Heyman tries to enter the ring. Cody denies him. So the three dudes stepped inside. Cody made it clear if anyone comes an inch closer to him, he would drop all of them. Heyman took that step. So Rhodes just kicked the shit out of these three guys, including throwing a chair at a dude's head. And the kid forgot to get his hands up in time, which was his fault. But I tweeted that clip. You got to see this. (laughs) It's a full chair to the head. It's great. The guy sells it great. Uh, He also took Crossroads as well. But it was laugh out loud funny to see the guy take the chair to the face. Uh, Heyman called Roman Reigns and then took out a second iPhone to call The Rock. That popped me so hard. Cody retorted, go ahead, call them because the bloodline isn't hunting me. I'm hunting the bloodline. Legitimate huge pop to that. Now, I want to analyze this segment like usual, but before we get to that, Chris, are you aware of the Cody solved racism memes that have been circulating for like three years now? Like there's a Photoshop yes. of him with MLK and Malcolm X, you know what I'm talking about?
2: Yes, this dates back to, uh, are you aware of it?
0: Yes, I am, I'm just making sure that you Okay,
2: are. yeah, so for people who don't know, um, Cody is obviously married to Brandy Rhodes, a, a black woman, And he cut a long promo in AEW, I think, when he had his kid or around when he had his kid and talked about, you know, like just bringing how it can bring people together and all this types of stuff. So it became a meme at that point that Cody solved
0: racism. That's where that came from. He had two race related like promos in AEW. One was actually immensely positive. And uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez even like retweeted it. And it was something having to do, I believe with Brandy if memory serves. But then there was that one, which got a lot of criticism. It it, it was the one
2: where he he said like, uh, I think he said like Brandy, He's Cody admitted like, I don't see color Then Brandy says like, well, then you don't know what my perspective is or something like that. And so that got a lot of praise at the time about understanding differences between race.
0: And then the other one though, that you're talking about, was kind of tone deaf and Cody thought it went over well, but it really didn't. And he said he regretted it immediately after the fact. But anyway, there's been memes online for two or three years now of Cody solving racism. The most iconic one, if you want to say a meme is iconic, is him Photoshopped into a picture with MLK and Malcolm X. But I digress. I just want everyone to have that context. But here in this segment, and we're going to analyze the entire thing, we have Cody brutalizing three suspended, that's the key word here, suspended NYPD officers with just three days left in Black History Month, I mean, I'm sure it was not purposeful, and I'm sure that Paul may have even just completely made up in kayfabe that they were suspended NYPD officers on the spot, given he was probably looking for something to say about them. And they were also and in they San were in, Jose, and they were in San, and they
2: yeah. were in San Jose, California. So
0: it made they should have been LAPD officers of anything, right? But as soon as Heyman said they were suspended officers, I just cracked the biggest freaking smile based on those memes i was like Cody's going to beat these guys up and people are going to lose their shit about it and that's exactly what happened i was wondering if you had any similar thoughts to that or not
2: uh i didn't i didn't make that connection at the time okay. my only thought was what like security guards like why why do we not have solo and jimmy here like this it was weird it it, it the whole segment felt very very forced
0: well we'll get to that and but yeah, they were there so- they were there because Cody needed someone to beat up. That was why it was that.
2: I was like, okay, sure.
0: So the best part of this segment, is actually probably two positions that did not come across in my breakdown. First was how Cody time and again thwarted Paul's expectations. So Heyman thought Rhodes would take back his challenge. He refused. He thought Cody would let him into the ring. He refused. He assumed Cody's threat only applied to the officers. Yet when Heyman tried to enter, Cody attacked anyway. That is in stark contrast and direct juxtaposition to the build to WrestleMania 39, where they approached one another with immense courtesy and respect due to their history in the wrestling business. You'll remember those promos were so interesting the way they were delivered. This time, Cody is done with that bullshit. This gave Cody a true legitimate edge That he's candidly been missing for quite some time. And the fire he showed saying that he was hunting the bloodline played into what I mentioned earlier about his comments from Elimination Chamber. It seems like they have a filler for that plot hole created from Cody backing out of the match on SmackDown. He mentioned on Elimination Chamber that it was one thing The Rock wouldn't want to talk about. And then here in this segment, he said that he wasn't going to, or he originally was not planning to disrespect The Rock because of everything he's accomplished in the industry. But that is now waning on him. And he's saying, you know what? I'm pretty much done with that shit. I'm ready to speak my mind and say whatever needs to be said. The underlying story seems to be in the process of being told, is my point. Either that, or they're alluding to it a great deal for no reason. The Bloodline Hunter gimmick, it's probably a top three badass Cody Rhodes line During his WWE run, it may not be number three. And then you add Heyman's excellent mic work and the two phones on top of it. And you just have an extremely strong piece of storytelling that's gonna take us into Friday and SmackDown and the return of The Rock again.
2: Yep, like you laid it all out there. Very good for Cody to finally have the edge uh, to not respect Paul Heyman like he did last year. It's taken like a couple of weeks to get here, but we're here. You know, this should have been Cody's reaction immediately after the slap mm-hmm. uh and, and, and cm punk said as much you know on the on the panel at the time he, he's like you can't just like you got punch I him go. in the face so yeah yeah so like a couple weeks later cody's finally like all right i'm still pissed off about that i want to challenge you to a fight i'm not respecting you guys anymore i'm hunting you guys okay it was a bit delayed but it got there um that that all worked i just i thought the security guard thing was just i kind of was like whatever um so like it got the point across in the end. It just, it felt kind of, uh, it it, it felt like it was the security guards were there to like, just make it longer and give Cody something to do that, that he wouldn't otherwise. I did
0: see a lot of comments like, Hey, the pacing of this segment was so weird. I'm pretty sure Heyman was out there forced to fill time. There's no way that segment was supposed to be eight minutes long. I think the Waller match ended too early. I think something happened and that match ended too early and they had to drag out two or three extra minutes. That way the show didn't run short. That's just my guess. So I'll say that. Now, but do you agree before we move on? Do you agree with my general take that they're purposely juxtaposing this 2024 Cody with the 2023 Cody in terms of the way he treated Heyman, the way he's approaching the match, all that type of stuff? Uh, It could be. I mean, it's only one segment. So we kind of got to
2: see... What happens, you know, the next couple of weeks? Um, but again, he's going to have to be face to face with the Bloodline to do this. He's going to have to attack Jimmy and Solo and all these people when they're not ready for it. You know, we're going to kind of have to get more of that. We just we're not there yet, but we may be getting there.
0: Now, Chris, look, you have a lot of roles on this show, right? You're the co-host. You're the guy who, far too frequently, brings hard seltzer into our instant analysis uh, beer uh, type of celebration when we break down uh, our pay per views and premium live events but you're also the Paul Heyman iPhone expert. And we had not one, not two, not three, and I'm on, I'm not gonna keep counting because I don't know how many messages I got, but we got multiple requests for you to analyze the two iPhones that Paul Heyman pulled out of his pocket, one for Roman Reigns, one for The Rock. So allow me to leave that to you, Chris. What did you see as you dug into the technology that Heyman pulled out of his suit pockets on Monday night. So we, we've we talked uh,
2: a lot in the past about Paul Heyman's old iPhone- Too much in the past. Technology, when when talking to Roman Reigns, we, we estimated it, for a while there was a 10R in there. Eventually it got <laughs> upgraded to some kind of 11. And now the Roman Reigns phone, it looks like it could be a 15 Pro, which it is does. the newest one. Yeah, 14 or 15. It, that, that It's got all the cameras. It's got everything on there. The Rock phone that he pulls out, not as good of a phone. That looks more like a, 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 a 14 or 13, I believe. Maybe it maybe a 12 in there. No, it'd be a 13 or a 14 because it's the diagonal cameras. Regular, not the Pro. So he's got a much better phone for Roman Reigns than he has for the Rock. Um, that is that. Also, Paul, just merge the calls, man. You like? Do you, you know how to like? put these things together. It looked like that old picture of Joe Dumars on the, uh, with with two landline phones holding it up. That's the only thing I could uh, keep thinking of, but you know, Paul Heyman's been a cell phone guy for a long time. It's been his gimmick dating back to the eighties and whatnot. Um, It's good that he has upgraded phone technology, but man, I, if I was the rock, I would feel pretty disrespected that Paul Heyman's Roman
0: phone is much better than a rock phone. I mean, you would think the rock phone needs to be the 15 pro, I don't know how big they go now, terabyte, you know, uh, storage whole deal. I just thought it was funny that he didn't just have separate iPhones, but they had branded cases. (laughs) Like he went so far as to make sure he got, or maybe it was a sticker that he added to it, but he got a rock case. And by the way, it was the old rock logo from when like attitude era, rock logo, the Brahma bowl, not like the new one that they currently use. I just thought it was hysterical. And I obviously wanted to give you that opportunity. You know, Chris, 2024 is here in full swing. We're two months into the year and WrestleMania is approaching. That means it's time for a New Year's resolution check-in with our friends at Manscaped. Newsflash, it is never too late to level up your grooming game and keep your bush tamed. Manscaped's new Landmower 5.0 Ultra is every man's cheat code to look good, feel good, and turn the page on confidence this year. Whether you're going for that Drew McIntyre trim or that Cody Rhodes clean shaven look, this trimmer has you covered. Trusted by over 10 million men worldwide, now is your time to get a grip on your grooming with our exclusive offer. Just go to manscaped.com and use code GETTINGOVER, that is one word, Over, for 20% off plus free shipping. Let me repeat that, 20% off and free shipping shipping. I like
1: it. I like it a lot.
0: The ball has dropped, but don't drop the ball on your balls. You know, we're talking about balls dropping here, Chris. Did you actually have any new year's resolutions this year? I did. I I always have a few. I'm
2: doing pretty well at it. One was to do a lot more exercise. It's warming up now. I'm getting outside more and starting to do that. The other was to do a better job uh, with my beard. If people know I'm a beard guy, I got a new razor, uh, got the uh, got, got some stuff from Manscaped and it's helping out. It, it, everything is working better. So I think I'm doing a pretty good job. It's only been two months, but I think I'm doing pretty well. What about you?
0: Well, for me, this is something that actually started during the pandemic. I was going way too long between beard trimmings. Forget like how it looked. My face would get dry and scratchy underneath. And in all seriousness, one of my favorite things about Manscaped's fifth generation lawnmower is it's not just a trimmer, but it's a perfect groomer. It has two different like skin safe blade heads, a standard that trims and then a foil blade that lets you go smooth. And I've not really had that on any other trimmer I've had previously. So not only has the trimming part been easier and faster, but it's coming out sharper too. Not quite like Lexus King, Dominican barber sharp, not that level, I don't have that kind of skill but far better than it used to be. The other thing I like about it a lot is waterproof. That helps for the beard, but it's super clutch, you know, when grooming downstairs in the shower. The other thing that's cool is they threw in Boxers 2.0 and the Shed 2.0 toiletry bag. It's pretty nice to have those because I'm about to do a bunch of traveling. So what we're getting with this entire kit was pretty cool. What stood out to you on the kit that we received? So the nose hair trimmer,
2: I'm a guy who the I got a big nose, the nose hair has come out a bit, the <laughs> nose hair trimmer has come through clutch for sure. The lawnmower is like you know, you know what you're getting with that, but every part of this is pretty solid. The aftershave lotion, not something like I would have thought about. And then once we once you have it and you start using it, you you wonder how you ever lived without it. Same with the the, the crop preserver anti-chafing ball deodorant. Like you don't think about that until you have it and you realize, wow, this is something I should be using all
0: the time. And now I am. It's been a good start to 2024 because of that. Yeah. It's like, how did I get along without that in the past? And then you realize, oh, wait, this is actually something that needs to be part of my daily habit. You know what I mean? So I completely agree with you, but look, support us here at getting over and up your grooming game, get 20% off and free shipping with the code getting over. I repeat one word, getting over. That is the code at manscaped.com. Embrace a new you. And definitely embrace a new trimmer, courtesy of Manscaped, your support of getting over when we rarely have these promotional opportunities. It is greatly appreciated. These are seriously great trimmers and fantastic deals for you, Are getting over heads. So Chris, with that, let's go ahead and move to some of our listeners' favorite segment here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We're going to break down everything else that happened across SmackDown and Raw this week, and we're going to do it in the good. The bad and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez. I call a spade a spade. It just, just is what it is. is. But you can't give credit to anything, do says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some. Sure, it's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. I'm just realizing now that Rosie Perez is getting shouts on every single episode of this podcast, every single WWE episode of this podcast. It's pretty funny. So Rhea Ripley opened Raw with Dominic Mysterio getting booed before her introduction. Rhea put herself over in standard fashion with Becky Lynch immediately interrupting. Becky looked fit as hell here. Look good, but she's got me saying,
1: hey now.
0: Lynch put them both over and called Dom a dirty kumquat, which made Michael Cole literally cackle on the mic. I don't think he meant to do it, and he just did. Becky said Rhea's been the face of the company with her feet up while she's been the backbone of WWE. Ripley stood up for Dom saying, Lynch has been a disappointment and the man always thinks they're the backbone while it's the woman actually running the show. They're both female, so I get what they're doing with the play on man and mommy and female, but they're both women. Uh, Nia Jax then ran out of the crowd attacking Becky with two huge leg drops before officials stopped her from hitting Annihilator. Nia later said there's no way Becky should be going to WrestleMania when she already beat her clean. So this was largely good, but for as long as we've been anticipating this, it felt like the showdown was lacking something. My guess is that's because we've been teasing it or we've been seeing them tease it for so long that what should have been this monumental face-to-face was instead like the sixth time that they've done that since that moment in October. I have no doubt the business is going to pick up over the next five weeks, but for a great promo in Becky and a very good promo in Rhea, this absolutely could have been better. And regarding the Nia attack, obviously Becky needs to get that win back before going on to WrestleMania and fighting Ripley. So that was expected booking. I liked the attack, the way they played it out. This just left me wanting more. And again, it wasn't as momentous as it could have been if they hadn't been teasing this directly for the last month.
2: Yeah, it, it was good, but it felt like it could have been better, like you said. Not great. I, I also think, yeah, it it wasn't the best from either of them. It felt like both of them just leaned too much into their catchphrases. Yes. And their names. It was it was extremely, like, just sexual, essentially. You know, I'm talking about man and woman behind and mommy mm-hmm. on top and, and all this kind of stuff. Gender specific. It, yeah. it didn't feel like we got the real connection between the two of them what it means to be in this spot and all this kinds of stuff and we got plenty of time to get there and i'm sure they will and becky is one of the best ever but yeah uh, it it was exciting to open up raw with the thing that ended the previous Mm -hmm. pay-per-view which honestly rarely happens so i liked that we got right to it but it you know it didn't feel like the big like now we're going forward type of moment and the Nia attack further that more. Cause now you know, this thing's going to be around a little bit before we're just on uh,
0: Rhea, Becky, maybe something else we'll get to. Right. We're still not on like their feud being the thing on raw. It's still yeah Becky Lynch doing something else, which as you alluded to, we're going to get to right now. So we had Jax against Liv Morgan as a scheduled match. Liv went on the offense right away, but Naya countered a Hurakarana by lifting Morgan into a Samoan drop. Naya did the stink face and a stretch muffler, flinging Liv's head into the second turnbuckle. And I pause here briefly because the stretch muffler that Naya did on Rhea during their match went completely viral for the exact reason that you think it might have gone viral. <laughs> it looked good, but she's got me saying, hey, that. And I don't blame that for going viral because it made sense once you saw it uh morgan dodged a leg drop on the apron ah! which preceded that and should have gotten it again but naya didn't do it and Liv then flattened her with the tope suicida like literally Jax took a huge bump on it she also hit a flying code breaker with another legitimately great sell by Naya. Liv avoided Naya into the ring post, but Jax drove her back into the ring post outside. Suddenly, Lynch jumped off the barricade and started ramming Naya's head into the announce table for the disqualification. Jax had both hands on the cover of the announce table, that lid, and was picking it up and down, slamming it herself, like for extra impact, which again, was really good selling. Then later backstage, Becky demanded a match against Naya with Adam Pearce granting it to her next week, Then Liv Morgan immediately confronted Bex saying, quote, I was in the middle of something out there, but you don't care, do you? Not everything has to be about you. That made Lynch pause and kind of think for a moment. This was probably one of the best disqualification bookings in a long time because it accomplished so much and it made perfect sense for every party involved. You got the intensity of Becky and Naya that got ratcheted up neither Jax nor Morgan had to take the fall in a match where either of them losing would have been a bad idea. And we saw Liv was furious that she was game in the match yet unable to potentially win because of the interference. Not only that, she got to stand up for herself right to Becky's face backstage. And in the past, that would either not happen at all, or it would happen the next week. Instead, it was like four minutes later. It literally worked for all three women. And on top of that, Just days after we praised Nia for the best match of her career, this was some of the best selling that I can remember her doing in her career. And on top of that, the match got a lot of time on TV. This was a super easy good.
2: It's a good, you had had to have a disqualification because I don't know if there's any way you could have Liv Morgan beat Nia Jax straight up just... (laughs) Physically, when you look at them, it's hard. Like it is a huge We were able difference. to get around. Yeah. We were able to get around Liv versus uh Ronda Rousey. And I know we've had Alexa Bliss beat Jax, but uh Liv beat Rhea Ripley also. Been, Don't forget. Yeah, and would have been tough. But um I can't help but think this is going to become a triple threat, right? I mean clearly they are setting up Liv Morgan in these situations. She's been a runner up for two straight Royal Rumbles, runner up in the Elimination Chamber. She keeps getting ignored. She keeps saying this is her revenge tour and nobody in Kayfabe is really taking it seriously. Like Becky Lynch interfering in that match is incredibly disrespectful to Liv Morgan. Yes, absolutely. And, and 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 that's exactly what Liv Morgan was saying and she was right. And So I I don't know what's going to come out of this, but it has me very much wondering if we're going to go down triple threat road instead, and maybe live Morgan's the person who
0: comes out of this. Well, let's address that. So I got a DM from cake at distraction cake with no E, but uh, underscore instead of the E, which I don't know if that name is about like asses, but (laughs) distraction cake. I mean, what else would it be? Uh, and, They wrote in, interested to hear what you guys think the direction for Liv is going into WrestleMania. I don't think she gets added to Rhea Ripley, Becky Lynch, as some have suggested, but it does feel like it's building to something, but what? And there's also been this weird, and this is now me talking, I don't even want to call it a trend, but a weird development since Elimination Chamber, where there's a subsection of fans angry that Becky won because they wanted Liv and thought she deserved it. Now, you guys know I'm as big of a live supporter as anyone I loved the Ripley attack I think Morgan being on a revenge tour is a great storyline I think she should be among maybe not the top tier in the women's division but like you know if it's if that's tier 1a then she's 1B as far as I'm concerned but she literally just got back while Becky's been rebuilding herself for a year putting in major work Becky being the backbone of the women's division, is why she won Female Wrestler of the Year over Rita Ripley in the meaties for 2023. Shitting on Becky as a fan because you prefer Liv, I think is idiotic. And with the way WWE booking works now, if Morgan is not in the spotlight at this WrestleMania, it does not mean she's not in their long-term plans. Not everyone can be pushed at once. I just truly hope they don't make it a triple threat, to your point. Let's get Liv Over and let's get her, let her get hers after this. But next week's booking is going to be interesting. It would make sense for Liv to interfere in the Becky Naya match, making that a triple threat either next week or the following week. And they could even do a gimmick in that match where they say, if either Liv or Jax wins, they get added to the championship match. And then you have to figure out what you want to do. You could have Becky beat Liv, which would protect Nia. Then you could have Liv win a women's showcase match of some type at WrestleMania. That would create momentum for her and also for Jax to challenge Lynch if she does win the title or for Morgan to directly challenge Rhea Ripley if Ripley retains over Becky. That would be my guess as of now, that it stays Ripley and Lynch in a singles match. And I used to think that Becky needed to win that. I'm now thinking they may just keep the title on Rhea and allow Liv's revenge tour to play out and have her be the one to eventually take down Ripley. It's also possible, Chris, that as part of this, Liv turns heel and maybe she loses in whatever happens with Becky and Nia in the next week or two. And maybe she teams up with Raquel Rodriguez again and they lose a match and then she turns on Raquel and they feud. There's a lot of different ways they can go with this, but I really just do not believe a triple threat is the right decision for WrestleMania. We've been waiting for Becky and Rhea. Just like we badly wanted Ronda Rousey and Becky. And what happened that year? They shoved Charlotte Flair into it where she did not belong because they wanted Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair. It's not the same situation this time, but it's kind of the, it could be the same result where this generational match, almost a passing of the torch type of match could add Liv Morgan, and again, I love Liv Morgan. Most years, I would say it would be great to get her involved in a you know major women's title match at WrestleMania. But in this particular case, I just want Rhea Ripley and Becky Lynch.
2: Yeah, look, you laid out about five different yeah, scenarios that are that are all possible. I, I, the one thing I'm wondering is, look, Rhea Ripley is a made woman had a WrestleMania moment last year. Becky Lynch is a made woman, has had a WrestleMania moment. Are perhaps this is testing the waters to see if a large swath of people will rally behind Liv over Becky mm-hmm. and Rhea and maybe she, in a Daniel Bryan type of situation. And maybe she gets in it and maybe not. I, you know, considering the things they've said about listening to the fans after Cody and Rock and all that stuff. Just just wondering. I I Liv is very much around this. No idea what's going to happen. I'm very curious what the reactions are going to be around her, what the bookings are, what the crowd reactions are, um, and what direction that could take us. Because I could see them saying, we have Rhea and Becky. Why not try to create another star in Liv
0: Morgan here? They can and they should. It just doesn't have to be at WrestleMania. Not everyone has (laughs) to get their moment at WrestleMania. WrestleMania, and not everyone has to get it at the same WrestleMania, right? Like we're talking about, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, the Intercontinental Championship. Okay. There's like four different people who would be great if they won at WrestleMania, but also if they beat Gunther at Backlash or they beat him at another situation, that's okay too. Not every title is going to change hands at WrestleMania. Not everyone is going to get a main event or main event level spot. And that's just how it goes. There's WrestleMania next year. There's WrestleMania two years from now. There's WrestleMania three years from now. There's going to be WrestleMania forever. They're 12 months apart, and there's plenty of other events that people can get over at in between them as well. Let me quickly play a promo that Liv cut. It's only 35 seconds from Raw Talk on Monday night just to add a little bit of context to the conversation.
1: You were so close to winning Elimination Chamber and punching your ticket to WrestleMania. But do you feel as though since you've come back, you've just been met with obstacle after obstacle on this revenge tour? I do. It's funny that you say that. My whole life has been obstacle after obstacle. So I'm really I'm really no stranger to it, whether it's Nia Jax wanting to involve herself in my business, whether it's Becky Lynch wanting to make every single thing about her. It doesn't matter because one thing will always remain the same. And it's that the very last stop of the Liv Morgan revenge tour is and always will be Rhea Ripley and the Women's World Champion so I'm not going to cry about it, Kathy Kelly. And if I were you, I'd just watch me.
0: That's excellent. I mean, that's exactly what she needs to do. And I kind of like the idea of, I mean, she's showing heel tendencies here, right? Like she's, she's kind of saying, Hey, I'm not going to take this shit anymore. What they run into is the same thing that happened to Becky Lynch. Don't forget. They had Becky turn on Charlotte. The idea was Becky Lynch turning heel. And what happened? The fans cheered Becky. And then she became the man. It may not be that dissimilar of a situation where they say, hey, maybe they have Liv turn on Becky, and then she goes off and is a heel in another storyline, except the fans cheer that, and then she's the baby face. So it's very possible something similar happens. I don't know, but I wanted to play that. Any thoughts on that uh, real quick promo from Liv?
2: Really good stuff. She she's been very solid on the mic since she, since she came back. That was obviously one of her big weak spots as champion. Mm-hmm. So she's been on fire since she's come back. And I think naming Rhea Ripley there and not just saying the championship is a key point. Yes. In you know Rhea's the person who injured her in kayfabe. So uh, I, I think we're I think we're getting to live Rhea, whether that's a mania or not,
0: we don't know. See, I, I would love it if they just go with Ripley and Becky. And then do Livrea at SummerSlam, change the title. Everyone wins, everyone's happy. That's how I would book it if it was up to me. Let's move on. Dakota Kai was found limping and injured backstage on SmackDown. Bailey later found her in the training room with Dakota telling her the damage control attacked and hurt her knee in the locker room. Dakota said she doesn't blame Bailey for not trusting her because she still continues to let her down. Dakota promised to get her back and earn her trust again, promising they would make the trio pay. Now, obviously this can go one of two ways with Dakota playing possum, to work on Bailey's emotion or she was genuinely attacked. But what was notable is we did not see the attack. Usually when that's the case and the victim knows who attacked them, it's a trick, but it's also possible damage control. just wasn't booked for the show because they were going to be in Australia either way. It was a good storyline development. I expect this feud to pick up a lot of steam in the coming weeks, especially with Dakota coming back from injury for a tag team match next week on SmackDown and all in all, it did well to push the story into next week.
2: Yeah. Did you grade it to, do? We yeah, it's grade good. this good storyline. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, n- not much there. I mean, I guess I'll say good. I also think this hundred percent means Dakota Kai is turning on Bailey <laughs> considering we didn't see the attack. Um, maybe they double swerve us, but that's, Usually, where things go, and it would make sense from based on what we expected. So, looking forward to seeing her wrestle finally. Uh, that'll
0: be really uh, a good moment for Dakota. Here's one quick random idea: Dakota turns on Bailey. She's in the WrestleMania match. The odds are stacked against her. She has everyone on damage control there. Bailey's by herself, and then during the match, at some point, Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair come down and get Bailey's back in a huge babyface moment, and they're there to cheer with her after she wins the title thoughts and then Sasha Banks music <laughs> hits and then the four of them are all together. And that's that's such um, the that's such the missing piece of the entire thing especially because of Bailey, like her and Sasha, you know, peanut butter and jelly. So,
2: right. I don't hate it, we just haven't seen Bailey with either of them in like quite a long time. Yeah. And Charlotte seems to be doing well in recovery, but it's still pretty early. So, oh, I'm not expecting I mean, I her to go
0: it. and wrestle a match, but she can come out just like Dakota Kai comes out and does a couple things. You know, Dakota barely missed any time from her torn ACL. So Charlotte could certainly come back on TV at any point. All right, let's move over and take a wide ranging look at the Intercontinental Championship picture because there were a lot of segments on Raw Monday night that may or may not have potentially fed into it. So we're going to take this into a bunch of different parts. Let's start with Sami Zayn versus Shinsuke Nakamura, NXT TakeOver Dallas, Rematch. Sammy sold ribs off a barricade moonsault early. It got clunky with a blue thunderbomb and a pump knee counter to a Haluva kick. Uh, Shinsuke then hit a Kinshasa off the ropes to the back of Sammy's head for a 2.9 false finish and a diving knee off the steel steps with Zane draped over the barricade for a 9.9 count. Then Sammy took a Kinshasa back inside. I think cameras completely missed it for a rope break. He countered a third Kinshasa attempt with Nakamura running into the corner. Zane caught him with haluva kick to the back of his head and then another to the front of his head for the one, two, three. The crowd was super hot for this entire match, but it was miked up terribly by WWE. I'm not sure why it didn't come across louder on TV, but I saw people jumping around and cheering and going crazy, and it just didn't sound that way. Commentary put Sammy over really strong as an underdog finally getting over the hump and now said he's on his road to WrestleMania. It came across as a little bit too much for me a bit heavy-handed, two kinshasas and other knees to the back of the head, and he didn't take the fall. I mean, I could have done without the rope break spot. You skip that one and the whole thing plays better for me. And damn it, if I wasn't actually rooting for Shinsuke down the stretch of the match. I guess I just feel that way because the angle feels a bit ham-fisted to me, but in terms of a grade, was it good? It was absolutely good.
2: Well, and then finishing it with two Haluva kicks too, you know, like really
0: it took a lot to take down Nakamura, which was positive,
2: yes. Well what, what? I mean just like really stamping that like, you know, this is maybe the end of this bid and, and everything it took for Sammy to win this. Um Right. Yeah, it, it, it was it was good. Um, I mean it's a rematch of a couple of weeks
0: ago and some things they've been doing, but um yeah, it was good. By the way, I went three point seven five stars B plus for the match, just figured I'd throw that in there. So Sammy backstage said that that was a legitimate must-win match for him. And it reaffirmed his belief in himself that he can be a real contender and champion. As he finished speaking, Imperium walked past him, staring him down one by one, Gunther, of course, being last. So in the moment, I felt as if they were basically telegraphing that this was gonna be the WrestleMania match. And I kind of wanna take you through my thought process here. On one hand, I would get that booking. Sammy is a big name. It's a good spot for him on the show. And we certainly don't want him left off WrestleMania or in a match that's unimportant just to get him on the card. On the other hand, as far as my interest level in Sami Zayn contending for a mid-card title, he's already won three times. Zero point zero. And that's even despite Gunther being on a record run. Let's not forget, he and Kevin Owens already feuded with Imperium last year. So it's gonna be a rehash if that storyline happens. The only way Sammy would make sense as an opponent is if Gunther was previously booked to beat Brock Lesnar and they don't wanna give someone else like a Chad Gable, just as an example, another loss. But Sammy's entire goal for a year has been to eventually be world champion. At this moment of Raw on Monday night, I just figured that I could not think of a more uninteresting booking decision if he winds up being the direction for Gunther. Yeah, I, I,
2: when that happens and Gunther laughs at him backstage, I was like, "All right." I groan. I don't know if I want. Yeah, I was like, I don't know if I want Sammy to win that. You know, who who's the person to beat Gunther? There's not a ton. Like Sammy's entire year has been just kind of forgetful. He wins the tag team titles, which is incredible. That's the high point. But from that point on, there was nothing real memorable about the run as tag team champs. It went on a very long time. And then they, they lose it, they split apart, and he's just kind of been doing whatever. I mentioned on the instant analysis of Elimination Chamber that I was watching the COVID 2020 WrestleMania um, while we were recording. Sami Zayn is the Intercontinental Champion on that show. It was him with Shinsuke Nakamura and yeah. Cesaro as his, like, as his lackeys, which I had
0: completely forgotten. He's the happened. champion too removed from Gunther. He was just champion. Yeah. I mean, I know it's been a long in time in like days, but in terms of reigns, he's too removed. Well, he had it. Then he like, he had to leave for some reason. And then he
2: came back and said he was a rifle champ. Like that whole story. Yeah. Line, yeah it was like, not, not that long ago. Um, so yeah, it was like, okay, but there's not, there's nothing really behind it at this point. It's It's very generic. I mean, I believe in myself underdog going up against the big bad guy. You know, like there's not much,
0: more too. And again, it's the intercontinental title. Imagine if Kofi Mania was about the United States Championship. No one would have given a shit. The whole deal that we as fans want with Sammy is for him to win a world title, which he has not accomplished. You know, beating Gunther's reign it matters more for someone who's not immensely over like Sammy Zayn. By the way, Sammy's thirty nine. I'd like that. You know, to go to someone who's younger or could at least use the elevation in his career. Sammy doesn't need that elevation, so. Coming out of that segment, that's how I felt and I'm glad to hear that you felt kind of the same way. The next segment was Gunther in the ring admitting that Jay Uso gave him a tough fight and he even conceded that he got lucky last week because he felt the Intercontinental title slipping from his grip. He said, nobody's perfect, but he's very, very close. Gunther stated that he spent over 600 days making the Intercontinental Championship the most prestigious title in WWE, yet he sees people wanting Sammy. Chad Gable, The Miz, and even R-Truth to challenge him. Judgment Day entered, which was obviously a surprise. Finn Balor had a solo Sokoa-style braced thumb because he injured it in Perth in that tag team match. Damian Priest said Gunther's run is second to what Judgment Day is doing. False. He said that they ran the table at Elimination Chamber and want to add more gold at WrestleMania. Gunther asked if it was going to be Balor or the one with the big head, huge pop for that, by the way, uh, when suddenly Dom stepped to him. So Gunther shoved Dom, and then Priest got really angry needing to be held back. Then backstage, Ripley questioned Dom before Dom bumped into Andrade El Idolo, who was only labeled as Andrade despite last week's video adding El Idolo to his name. So I have no idea what's going on there. Maybe it's like a Meech and Mia Yim situation where you know their name, but you only call them by one thing. Who the fuck knows? So... They just threw us for a loop with these segments back-to-back. If Dom is ultimately the challenger, that's fine. He was supposed to fight Lesnar at Elimination Chamber. Gunther was supposed to fight Lesnar at WrestleMania. It would be a deserved spotlight for him, yet simultaneously an easy retention for Gunther. But Chris, my problem was Priest becoming the focal point. And it led me to believe in that moment, they either might run that match or some other match with Gunther retaining only for Priest to like use money in the bank on the Mm Intercontinental title. And that would be, you want to talk about the only booking worse than Sami Zayn being in this match? It would be atrocious booking. And even worse, not just for the briefcase to be used on a mid card title again, but if Gunther's reign ends without putting someone over clean, losing it in a happenstance fashion because of a briefcase. So this is perhaps my most provisional good ever. Because if it's Dom... That's good in the segment with him standing up to Gunther and Ripley questioning him. I liked all of that. But if it happens with Priest, it shifts all the way to Ugly. We can only grade what's in front of us Monday night.
2: Yeah, light, good. What, what got me most interested here was just seeing Judgment Day and Imperium face-to-face. Yeah, two, two like heel factions six, or
0: a group and a faction. Yeah, yeah. like
2: six-man match. Like, it wasn't the same level, but I, it got like vibes of wide family shield of like these two groups that just kind of never interacted and now finally they are. And it's like, oh, okay. Like that uh, that's fresh. It's new. It's interesting. I have no idea what, what to expect, what it'll mean for the inter- Intercontinental title, Other than at that moment, I start thinking, oh, maybe we're going to be doing multi-man match for the IC title. Mm-hmm. And more happened on, on, on Raw around that as well. But all I got out of that segment was I, I want to see a six man between these two teams. That would be a lot of fun.
0: Do you agree with me though about like Priest, if he used that briefcase,
2: using the yes using the briefcase on a, on a mid card title is ridiculous but it'd be bad for both was, of them
0: it'd be bad for it would be priest, it would be
2: bad and it, it was, would
0: suck for gunther ha- having the reign end without putting someone over i mean that's ridiculous P- P- priest who has already been a us champion i believe
2: uh we yes. had Austin Theory cash in i believe the lap was that the last cash the last in? one was theory was
0: unsuccessfully it? cashing in on the mid card
2: yeah a, a, a mid card title against seth rollins i think and he looked like a dumbass. And then they rebuilt him back up a couple weeks later. But yeah, using it on a, even if it's a, a, a huge rain, using a briefcase on a mid car
0: title will never yeah. look
2: good. It will never help anything.
0: Okay. Two other notes. Uh, Gunther continues to improve on the mic, which is great to see him being an honorable heel who can admit he got lucky. It's a good character development. I, I didn't like that. I didn't oh, like really? that. I did not
2: like that. He said it goes against everything he's said before. He's Why? always been he's always been the guy who doesn't admit when they like with the cable stuff and all that kind of stuff. Like he he it huh. just it felt out of character for me to be like, yeah, I got lucky. I don't ever want to hear a heel
0: say that. OK, I mean, I thought it makes him honorable. He's all about the ring and, you know, it it being important and and not kind of cheating. He doesn't really cheat in his matches or anything like that. So I thought it was him just saying, hey, look, well, sometimes people have bad days. I had a bad day, but I'm still champion. F you. I didn't like that because he because when he beats
2: Gable, he doesn't say, "Oh, you pushed me to my limit," you know. No, he attacks his daughter and all these kinds of stuff. Like, no, that's no when he that's
0: strange. not that's not necessarily true. When he gets really pushed, he comes out and puts over the other person.
2: I don't re- quite remember that happening with Gable. No. To me, it felt more like, "Hey guys, I know." Like, it felt like WWE telling the audience, "Hey guys, we know Jey Uso lost in a big spot yet again." But you know we're gonna give him his flowers on this spot, and we're gonna cover it that way. That that's what, what I took from it. Less about Gunther being audible, more about just trying to keep Jey Uso you know, okay. with with some momentum despite a loss.
0: It also always pops me, just a separate note, uh, that Ripley will look over to Balor as the only other adult in judgment day when something goes wrong. Like she's like she's like, Why are you challenging Gunther to Dom? And then she looks over at Balor, like, how could you let that happen? <laughs> like, no one else there is yeah. responsible for themselves, but Balor. Like, she's the mom and he's the dad. Like, you really let him go play in the mud like that. How could you let him back in the house? I just, I just think it's so funny. All right, let's move over to the other part of this though that you alluded to. So Even later backstage, Pierce is on the phone with Bronson Reed, seemingly telling him that he understood there were a lot of people asking for a particular opportunity, and it was at the front of his mind. Chad Gable then walked into Pierce's office, saying he's coming to him not just as a competitor, but as a father, because Gunther made his daughter cry and embarrassed him, despite Gable coming inches away from ending his reign. Gable said the match that he wants is about a championship to all the other competitors, but to him, it just means more. Holy shit! Did WWE take us for a ride in this episode when it came to the Intercontinental Title? What I liked most about this segment wasn't just Gable being serious, but he looked serious. He was in a nice suit. He was talking to Pierce like a professional, like a peer. No catchphrases. No Alpha Academy folks hanging on to him. Just the Gable we want. In fact, the only notable phrase that just means more—it's the SEC slogan from college sports which was random for me to hear. And I'm quite sure that like, you had the same thought in your head. Like, that's weird mm-hmm. that he just said that. But out of all of these possibilities, we saw Monday night, Gable is by far the most exciting. The other perhaps more obvious option is a multi-man match of some kind, be it a ladder match, a traditional fatal five-way, something like that. Because right now, including Gunther, who would be a part of the match, Sammy, Dom, Andrade, maybe, they had that interaction. Gable, presumably read on the phone. That's six dudes. They could also do qualifying matches into a one-on-one or a triple threat. That's another possibility. There's a ton of directions they can go. I'm giving the Gable segment a no doubter good. And overall, the fact that we have no idea where this is headed for now, and it has us talking about the intercontinental title and wanting to tune in next week to find out what's going to happen next, that's good too.
2: Yes, and Gable, it seems like it just means more is going to be his thing because he tweeted or he posted on social media as well a video. You also tweeted it from the Getting Over account. Um, Gable said that this was a a vignette that they made around the holidays. I can play it right now. I just never... I have it queued up. Yeah, let's play it. Let's do it.
1: The holidays are a time for reflection. When we finally get some free time to spend with our families, and I'm grateful for that, but... I can't help but still feel a fire burning inside me. But what you have done is light a fire in me. Fortunately, this new year brings a chance at redemption. A chance to right a wrong that continues to haunt me. Gunther makes history! Gunther, I told you straight to your face what you and that match did to me. But you made it personal. You're disgusting, terrible fodder! You made this about more than just the championship. But this isn't about revenge. This is a quest for vindication. For my family. Family in the front row! My daughter, my fans, and myself. When Chad Gable says something, he means it. The and I said something. I swear to God, I'm winning that championship. So I'm gonna do it. And this isn't a resolution. It's a declaration.
0: I mean, that's a WrestleMania promo.
2: Yeah, exactly. And and, and again, G- Gable said that they had they had planned to run it around the holidays and just didn't. And so now they're using it here, which, which is kind of goes back to what we said was, where is where has Chad Gable been for the last kind of month or two? He just he had just kind of disappeared. So that's why they probably didn't run it. They held it. That is somebody you believe in. That yes. is somebody my daughter, all these things. When a when a when a face says, I swear to God, I'm winning that championship. They usually win the championship. <laughs> so like, yeah, th- that, that is uh, a, a, it, like you come out of everything we got on wrong. And I would bet the majority of people
0: want Chad Gable Absolutely. to win the, win the IC title. In out fact, of, out of when Gunther got, was running down those names, Gable got the biggest pop, bigger than Sammy. I completely agree with you. Like all the names I listed that could possibly be in a match against him, if it's one on one, Gunther Gable is the match and Gable's the person who needs to end that reign. It was Seamus before, they decided not to do it. Gable now is that front runner. But I just don't know, Chris. That it needs to happen at WrestleMania. I'd be okay if they do a multi-person match at WrestleMania, and then just at some point between Mania and the Berlin show, they have Gable beat Gunther. That way, Gunther can possibly go into Berlin challenging for the World Heavyweight Championship. Right. Because well, that that
2: Berlin show is not until August, so it, it yeah. is it is pretty far away. Exactly. You know? it, it, he doesn't have to have the uh, IC tunnel for that long. But yeah, I, whatever it is, if it if it's a multi-man match, um whoever wins they need to pin Gunther you 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 can't have Gunther lose well if he the drops belt. the title I and think if they win. do a
0: multi-man match there's no chance he loses you think so oh yeah if they're doing a multi-man match then Gunther retains I mean that's what it should be at least he he should not lose that title without getting pinned one-on-one right or that's, that's
2: what I'm saying the, at the very minimum he has to be the person who gets pinned yeah uh to, to that point so We'll see. But it's interesting. And I'm really interested in Chad Gable right now.
0: By the way, being a Finn Balor fan is tough, even though I don't have an interest in him like winning the Intercontinental title. Out of all the people teased to possibly fight Gunther, including two of them in Judgment Day, Balor's not even listed. Like It's just like, oh, he's an afterthought. Meanwhile, Balor, well, Gunther- he, he's, a, he's, a tag, he's a tag team champion. So right is now. Priest. And Priest is the one going crazy trying to fight Gunther yeah. in the segment. But that's a dream match, Balor and Gunther and we just still haven't gotten it. So the fact that they didn't even tease that was frustrating to me, but I digress. We got a lot more to talk about. Let's keep going. Uh, New Day fought Imperium in a street fight. New Day attacked during entrances wearing San Jose Sharks uh, jerseys and jeans. They quickly fought into the crowd. Imperium teased a table and then shoved it back under the ring to get booze. Xavier Woods ate stereo sliding drop kicks into a chair. Kofi Kingston, in a callback, saved Woods from suffering the same fate with the steel steps. Imperium beat the shit out of them with kendo sticks. Kofi threw Pat McAfee's death Chair directly at Ludwig Kaiser's head before New Day beat him with kendo sticks. They did a full Dudley Boys Get the Tables spot. Fans loved it. Woods elbow dropped Giovanni Vinci through a table ringside to the biggest pop of the night. Then they hit, I think, midnight hour. I forget which move that was, only for Kaiser to make the save. Vinci shoved Kingston off the top rope into a table outside. Then he banged Woods' head with a chair over the ropes, only for Kaiser to run Woods into a chair in the opposite corner and fold him over for the one, two, three. This was a terrific match with great spots, top tier selling, actual street fight moments, and dare I even say, Chris, the right winners. I'd like to see New Day pushed again, sure. But Imperium needed a win like this so badly, and they got it in squeaky clean fashion because it was a street fight. They came out looking like vicious killers, which is a turn they've needed for a long-ass time. I also went 3.75 stars, B+. For this, it was the match of the night and an easy good.
2: Yeah, you know, I haven't been super into this whole feud for a while because it's just kind of not really stakes. but they've gotten more and more violent every week, and this was a great match. This was absolutely a good, properly violent, properly street fight-ish, uh, and yeah, Imperium gets a win that they've needed, Perhaps timed up with Gunther kind of focusing on, on his next big challenger. They need some, uh, put some heavy behind his
0: his people. So yeah, not much more to say other than a great match and it was good. DIY and The Miz found R-Truth in the Judgment Day clubhouse, trying to raise his spirits as he reminisced about the past. Miz said they had a plan to get retribution. Tommaso Ciampa asked, are you ready? Twice. That played into Truth, of course, calling him Triple H. He asked if they would be Regeneration X. And it just kind of ended with smirks and funny stuff from there. Short, sweet, funny, good.
2: I was first I was wait, I was like, wait, why is R Truth in the clubhouse? Why did they let him in there? What is going on? And then he explains they left for the night. Right. So I was like, okay, good. <laughs> they explained it at least. Um Champa's beard, he's growing it out more like triple H-ish. Yeah. And it's he's dying it again. And he's yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- that was that was notable. Um I think, you know, like this was fine. It was good. It was, there was not much to it. I just, it, you know, our truth is mostly just sad. He's not in judgment day anymore. He doesn't seem to want revenge, but everybody else does for him, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, that's where, again, that connection, that edge isn't really quite there. But I guess this is another tiny, small step toward our truth finally accepting that he's no longer in judgment day, grabbing the little television uh, and them saying it was not wireless was uh, yeah.
0: was, was funny. That was funny. Uh, Raquel Rodriguez fought Chelsea Green. Chelsea actually got an in-ring promo saying she's competing under protest after complaining about the battle royal last week. She fumbled a couple lines but got some cheap NHL heat. Rodriguez squashed her with a Tejana bomb in two minutes. I know Raquel is still not wearing makeup because of her autoimmune issue that's flaring up. But I got to tell you, it's super refreshing to see a female superstar just looking totally natural in that way. I think she looks great like that. While I like Chelsea getting promo time, she's established enough where she should not be getting jobbed out in two minutes even to someone in Rodriguez's stature or with her size or anything. I gotta go with a default bad here. I just wanted to see a wrestling match and I got a two minute squash with a main roster superstar who really should not be getting squashed.
2: Uh, I mean, Chelsea is the person to get squashed though. Her whole bit with the tag team was that Piper Niven was doing all the work. I I would love for Chelsea to not be in the position to get squashed, but it fits with what she does. I'm glad she got a promo to add a little bit more heat on her for Raquel who's returning, you know. I think it, they did everything fundamentally
0: correct. So I'll give it a like, good. Okay. Indy Hartwell and Candice LeRae fought Zoe Stark and Shayna Baszler. The heels probably cut their best promo as a team, calling bullshit on Indy getting a title match simply because Chamber was in Australia and pointing out the heels deserved one instead. Hartwell went on a run in the match, but Baszler tagged in blind and caught her from behind with a Kira clutch. Indy tapped out in like five seconds before she even went down to the canvas and the match ended in less than three minutes. I just don't get it. Why book both of these matches on one show and give neither of them enough time to get anyone over? I have to go with another default bad here. This match should have been given eight, nine minutes on its own with Raquel Chelsea as a backstage segment building to a match between them next week. It was super annoying. This
2: one's absolutely a bad. I still think Zoe and Shayna have a lot of potential. They just never get any time to show it. Their matches are short. The promos are short. It's just...
0: There's nothing for them to sink their teeth into bad. And I like that the women's tag team division has a bunch of teams, but it doesn't have any storylines. They have to start building storylines. They're doing a really good job with the women's main event picture. Even the mid card has some storylines. And maybe that does mean they should introduce a mid card title and get rid of the women's tag team titles. But if you're going to have a tag team division, you have to have tag team storylines. They don't. And that's a problem. The Street Profits fought Authors of Pain over on SmackDown. Everyone from both factions was ringside. Angelo Dawkins hit a nice tope con hero and got the hot tag. The Profits hit the assisted flying blockbuster for a broken fall. Montez Ford crotch-chopped carrying Cross, which led to Cross knocking him off the top rope as Scarlett distracted the referee. Bobby Lashley attacked Cross, who slammed his arm into the ring post and then hit the arm with a steel chair. AOP took advantage with a flip-over neckbreaker powerbomb on Ford for the win. There was nothing wrong with this match but AOP are just kind of boring for me. The final sequence brought some much needed intensity to the finish. I struggle to understand why Montez always seems to be the one taking the fall every time the profits lose. It's almost like Dawkins is the featured guy now, which more power to him, but it doesn't make any sense because Ford's ceiling is so much higher. Light good, just because nothing was wrong with it.
2: Yeah, same. Like they put in the effort. And you can at least appreciate that after so many times we don't get anything between these people. But there's, you know, just not a ton to it, but still like good.
0: Electro Lopez approached Joaquin Wilde and Cruz del Toro backstage, talking shit about LWO falling apart, Rey Mysterio missing in action, and how they made the wrong decision to go with him instead of Santos Escobar. This was all a distraction, so Angel and Umberto could attack them from behind and hold them prone. And Santos could talk more shit in their face, saying it's only the beginning. Carlito and Zelina Vega eventually ran in, but it was too late. This was nice to add some juice to this ahead of what I'm expecting to be a Mysterio return pretty soon, maybe as soon as Friday. Light good, but Electra's promo was all over the place. Kind of surprised because it was a taped show. They didn't just do this a second time and do it better.
2: Yeah, I I gave this a bad just because I didn't really care, and it still feels very repetitive. And then just, if, if it's a Mysterio return or whatever, we kind of need some more
0: happening mm-hmm. um, light bad. Braun Breaker destroyed Dante Chen in two minutes with a catch, world strongest slam, and a spear. The crowd was invested for the jump, credit to them. And there were direct references to his father and uncle by commentary to help put him over. I wish he had caught Chen better on that first move so it was more impactful because he does it all the time in NXT and it comes across so much better. But it was a typically fine debut squash match for a new talent. And if you hadn't seen it before, now you know Breaker has been dishing out the best spear in all of professional wrestling for the last two years. It's exceptional, but because it was a squash and it was Dante Chen, just a very light good.
2: Yeah, light good. No more squash matches, though. Like, you want to do it for the new guy who showed up? Okay. Um, You just, you want to show his impactful moves? Okay, we got it. Can't do many more of these yes it's the best spear in the business it's the only spear that looks like it's really trying to hurt somebody yeah and and that's why it's so good it's still weird to refer to his uncle and his father when his he doesn't have the Stein, steiner name right i still think that's just it's a step for a lot of people it's a step some people can't make connect connection wise so like i guess this is the name
0: we're going with though because it's what he's had for a while and yeah is what it is. I was hoping they would change it before the main roster. Rex Steiner was an option, Braun Steiner, Bronson Steiner, so many options. He's Braun Breaker with 2Ks. Just weird. Uh, there was a video package with Cedric Alexander and Ashanti The Adonis that was supposed to air last week on SmackDown but was instead an online exclusive. There was some fun banter between them and basically they agreed to team up. This Friday, there was a vignette with Adonis trying to get Alexander some style. The last outfit was Adonis's old ring gear, the all red jumpsuit type of deal, which was way too tight on Alexander. Then hours later, he walked out in some black leather pants, a crop top, like combat style vest and Bret Hart glasses. They seemed to have some good like chemistry together as characters, and both guys needed something to do, especially Cedric. So my grade for this so far is a provisional good. I liked both of these. I happened to catch the
2: online only one the previous week. Um, they're fun. These guys got good chemistry.
0: The, the, the back and forth feels really natural and it's fun. Uh, this was a good, for sure. Now, that is the end of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Before we get to the last word, I do want to circle back to the WrestleMania 40 card as it stands right now. And I mentioned that we have a number of DMs and tweets, questions and comments about WrestleMania and people adjacent to WrestleMania that we wanted to discuss before the show is out. So let's go ahead and do that right now. First, the matches that are official, undisputed WWE Universal Championship, Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes. I don't think we have anything more to say about that at this juncture. Same thing for the Women's World Championship, Rhea Ripley against Becky Lynch. We already discussed the possible addition of Liv Morgan earlier. The WWE Women's Championship, Eosky against Bailey. no changes there. The World Heavyweight Championship, Seth Rollins against Drew McIntyre. I think it's still possible that Sami Zayn gets added to that, but no real developments on Monday night specifying that or alluding to that, I should say. Jay Uso versus Jimmy Uso didn't actually develop um, Monday night, even though I expected it to. Maybe we'll see some of that on Friday. And then we have three other matches that you can almost kind of group together, or I should say three other potential matches that you can kind of group together. United States Championship, Logan Paul against someone or multiple people, Kevin Owens is an option, Randy Orton is an option, we thought LA Knight was an option, LA Knight got into it with AJ Styles even more at Elimination Chamber because of Styles' attack, Orton got into it with Logan Paul during Elimination Chamber, could be a multi-man match, could be two different matches, we don't know, and of course our conversation earlier about the Intercontinental Championship. Since we already took a look at this card during the Elimination Chamber instant analysis, we'll save maybe a deeper conversation for next week, But where I stand right now, Chris, is I think we're getting at least one multi-man match for a mid-card title, probably a ladder match, either the Intercontinental Championship or the United States Championship. And right now, I could see that being for the US title just based on everything that happened in Elimination Chamber. And I think if I had to make a bet right now that we'd get a series of matches, maybe a tournament, something to determine a number one contender or number one contenders for Gunther. I still believe that Sami Zayn winning Money in the Bank is the best case scenario for him to win a world title. So out of these two titles and all these competitors, what are you thinking?
2: I I think, well, the way they've set it up, it makes more sense, I think, for the IC title, but I'd rather it be for the US title. Mm -hmm. One, because... That would mean LI Knight is in a title match, which I want, right? Uh, two, it fits Logan Paul more to do some high flying stuff, ladder stuff. We've seen that. I don't, Gunther in a ladder match just doesn't fit as much. Um, so if I had a guess, I'd say IC title, but I'd rather it be US title,
0: okay? So we're slightly different, I guess, on that, but we'll see what develops Friday on SmackDown when it comes to the United States Championship. And obviously, next Monday we have another Raw before our next show, so perhaps. The situation for both mid-card titles will crystallize by the time we next speak about WWE. As mentioned, we have a ton of questions and comments we want to get to, so let's do them right now. Big Blaine at Big Blaine 71 and Jason Cannon at Black Clark Kent 7 both asked a similar question. At some point, Damian Priest has to cash in the Money in the Bank briefcase. Do you think Drew wins at WrestleMania and Damian cashes in on Drew after that match? because they had a lot of beef previously. So that's a good shout that McIntyre and Priest had problems in November. If Drew does win the title, it would seem like he has three threats. Priest, Sami Zayn, because of their feud, and of course CM Punk, who he continues to talk shit about. I'd say Punk is out long enough where his feud with McIntyre could easily be non-title. Or at least after Drew wins it back from maybe whoever he loses it to. The idea of Zayn, Cashing in his money in the bank briefcase on McIntyre is most exciting to me. You have Sammy win in July and you have him cash in on Drew. But as you said, Blaine, Priest has to settle his briefcase first. That could be an in match cash in at WrestleMania that costs Drew. It could be a post match cash in at WrestleMania after he or Rollins leave with the title. It could also happen on the Raw after WrestleMania so that Drew's moment doesn't get overtaken. Just remember, there's still three months after WrestleMania where Priest is eligible to cash in the briefcase. The biggest issue is not so much when or where or how, it's that Priest's star power and believability as champion right now has dissipated. He is the fourth longest individual run with the briefcase, but if he was to cash in against Rollins or McIntyre, I really wouldn't be excited about him as champion like I would have been maybe six months ago. So WWE has a lot of work to do on the Damian Priest character, no matter what they decide for his cash-in opportunity.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's a heel. And you're going to need a heel to cash-in on a face champion, and we've got heel champions everywhere, you know? So it's it doesn't feel like there's anywhere naturally for it to go. I don't think Priest cashing in on Drew would make much sense, you know? That's heel versus heel. It's not really relevant to Drew's story that, you know, like, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know where it's going to go. And you always wonder when they pick somebody, do they really have the plan? And there more times than not, it feels like they don't, which is why you so often get the women cashing in the day of or the next day. You know, <laughs> you, you, you're basically just making it a title change mm-hmm. essentially at that point, not having to plan anything out. So I, um I don't know. I don't know where you go with, with priest at this point, unless um, unless it's a, a mid, uh, uh, unless you don't, you don't see Seth winning. That's the thing. Like you don't see Seth winning against Drew McIntyre. Really so I don't know. Maybe yeah. he may, unless he cashes in to make it a triple threat match or
0: something and maybe still loses. I don't know. That is probably one of the best ways to get out of it. And then even you could have Drew pin him and then Rollins wants a rematch and gets one a little bit later on. And Drew then beats Rollins. A lot of different ways to do it, but McIntyre needs to walk out of WrestleMania as champion. I think we pretty much agree on that. Jeremy S. wrote in via email, you said something on the Instant Analysis podcast that triggered an idea. We know they won't do it, but I think the perfect booking for WrestleMania 40 would be Drew Seth with CM Punk as a special guest referee. You spend the whole match wondering who he's going to screw over. Ultimately, Punk screws over Drew and counts the one, two, three. Then you get Priest coming down to cash in, only for Punk to gleefully count the one, two, three and leave having gotten to help both his rivals lose the title. So, Jeremy, I see what you're going for with the booking, and I actually think it's pretty inventive, but there's a few issues. First, is Punk's injury is to his dominant arm, and he literally would need to count in the spots. So, that's difficult. The second problem is that's very much a heel move generally, and while you could do a double turn, Drew just went full heel like a month ago. And the third issue is you run into a situation where the other guy cannot get his retribution immediately. Basically the same problem we saw with the MJF Adam Cole devil storyline. Now that sucked for numerous reasons, but the biggest issue is that MJF cannot get over on Cole. Cole cannot get his comeuppance because he's injured and he's unable to work. And actually, now that I think about it, there's a fourth issue, which is the briefcase holder brings his own referee, though I guess you could work that out. If you want this booking, better would be to have Punk randomly interfere and cost McIntyre later in his run when he's near or returned from injury, then you have McIntyre Punk non-title and you have Priest with the championship and everyone benefits from it. But I would not do it in this way at WrestleMania. Yep, nope, I I agree. Everything you pretty much laid out there. Okay. Uh, Maka Baird, and I'm sorry if I say that wrong, at M-A-C-A-B-H-A-I-R-D, wrote in, Uh, So with the four main belts set for Mania, what are your thoughts on both women's belts on night one with the guys fighting and defending their titles on night two? Then what would you think of them doing that going forward with the women having one night and the men having the other? So if they do rock Reigns against Rhodes and Rollins as a tag team match, and that's the main event of night one, which I think it would have to be, then by default, I think both men's world title matches need to be on night two. In that case, yes, there's a high likelihood both women's matches will be on night one. But no, that is not something I would like going forward as a standard practice. Four titles makes it very easy to do one men's and one women's world title on each respective night of WrestleMania.
2: Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't want to separate them. I, I think in many years you will have a women's main event one of the nights, but you wouldn't I, I wouldn't want to make, oh, this is
0: the men's titles night. This is the women's title. Yeah,
2: I'd rather keep them together.
0: Totally agree. And lastly, Blake Murphy at Chloe Elkhound wrote in, after Elimination Chamber being over three hours and only having four matches, I can see each night of WrestleMania having just six matches. We can put Battle Royals on kickoffs or SmackDown the night before. The 18-match WrestleManias are likely over as they don't want five-hour PLEs anymore. So there's something to this. WrestleMania last year had 13 real matches, plus the Pat McAfee and Snoop Dogg segments on the respective shows. With the expected Rock, Reigns, Rhodes, Rollins tag team match taking a spot from other talent, I think, Chris, we're headed actually towards 14 or 15 matches total. Certainly not fewer, not 12 matches. I was told all eight titles will be on the show. If you add those eight titles and then you add the Rock match, that's nine. Jay and Jimmy, something with LWO and Legato that gets you to eleven. A couple showcase matches, you're back at thirteen. So I just cannot see twelve in any possible way. I think it's a minimum thirteen again. Much more likely to be fourteen or fifteen this year.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, I you you went through the specifics and the matches and still have. So I'm less
0: certain we'd get Legato type of stuff on Mania, but they're putting Rey Mysterio on WrestleMania. They're not leaving him off of the biggest show of the year.
2: Yeah, it's a lot to squeeze in. I mean, you've laid it out.
0: All right, speaking of squeezing stuff in, let's quickly move to the last word. So, and mix
1: for it like fresh cut
0: so we actually got a question on Spotify from UNC underscore Zach 13, who wrote in, are there any wrestlers from prior eras who were just underused that you think could be huge stars now? The reason this question is interesting, it's the actual opposite of the question we got last week. So I'm going to expand it a little bit, not just to prior eras like the 80s or the Attitude Era, but also prior decades, like two decades ago, just as an example. It's also worth pointing out that the definition of underused is really tough to contextualize. But here's a few names that came to the top of my head. Wade Barrett is someone who... If he was in his prime in WWE right now, would be huge. He's a multi-time NXT champion, he would be. He wouldn't have to deal with the same political landscape that held him back when he was in WWE as a wrestler. He can go in the ring, he can talk on the mic. He's just an overall immense talent. There's better medical now, so his injuries probably wouldn't be as big of a deal. He would thrive. Victoria, from back in the day, she was well before her time. Talking about thriving now, she would be great in the current women's division. Would love to see her working with Bailey and Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. Jazz is another interesting name. I'm not sure yeah. if her work would match up with today's women, but I'd be curious. I'd like to see it. Billy Kidman is someone who I think, I know this is probably a WWE question. He'd be super over in AEW if you could get Billy Kidman uh, from back then now. And some others, I'm just thinking about top of my head, who they got a lot of TV time back in the day, but they could probably excel today with better booking. You're talking about, like, Mr. Perfect, the model Rick Martel, Tito Santana, Bam Bam Bigelow. I mean, you talk about Mm -hmm. fitting into the meat madness of what's going on in in wrestling in 2024. Bam Bam Bigelow is, like, the def frickin of (laughs) big meaty men slapping meat. (laughs) That's what I want. I mean, imagine Bam Bam and Biggie in a match. That would be incredible. So, that's my quick list that I got.
2: I had a couple mixes of reasons why behind them, but similar to your Wade Barrett, uh, Zack Ryder came to mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's obviously currently wrestling and doing well on the Indies, but I think that woo-woo-woo thing and all that, that he was going the online show and how much that really got nixed by the WWE higher-ups and really killed his momentum. He was over then. Remember, he's getting his name chanted during a rock segment. Now they would totally lean into, have leaned into that. I think it would have done really well. Taka Michinoku, who yeah man, I only I I think of him back in the Attitude Era as just like the small Japanese guy you know who was doing some stuff. He was awesome, but, you know the the Michinoku driver and and everything like that like he would be, He's still he I think has is still wrestling I think and has been doing. A I lot think he's and, doing you know, something in Japan that. yeah, yeah. But but him back then you put that Taka Michinoku in AEW or something like that. I think that would have been really cool. Um, Al Snow. And yeah. the the head gimmick, which was extremely over in the Attitude Era, but it was like low card over. And yes, it was very much a sexual pun, but like, sure. I don't know. I could see them actually selling mannequin heads uh, in the shop or, or, or something like that, perhaps, um, maybe. Uh, and someone who obviously was used plenty, but Billy Gunn, you know, they tried the singles run with him, didn't quite work at the time might work out better now. I think he's still been doing a great job in AEW Mm -hmm. uh, at 50, whatever he is now. Um, But you put that athleticism and size in today's smaller wrestling world, I think he would have been great uh, as well. So those were some that came to mind
0: for me. Yeah, Taka Mishinoku actually wrestling for New Japan. I was just checking it out. It looks like he's had already 15 New Japan matches just in 2024, mostly multi-man matches with the Just Five Guys group. But... I didn't realize he was doing that. I really do need to get back into New Japan. So look, folks, that wraps up this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We said we were gonna keep it under two and a half hours. That was successful. Did we get back to 90 minutes? No, we did not. But we had an absolute ton to discuss today. As mentioned, we wanted to get your questions and comments on the show because we had really failed to do that in a meaningful way over the last few weeks. It is our expectation that going forward, we'll be able to get back to our 90 minute, two hour WWE episodes like we used to do consistently. It's just been that the last month has been pretty freaking wild and we've needed to go a bit longer. I haven't seen anyone complain about it, but I nevertheless understand that shows above two hours can be a little bit long in the tooth. Nevertheless, we will improve on that for you going forward. On the way out, let me first remind you a bit about our schedule. We have that WWE Elimination Chamber instant analysis in the podcast feed in case you missed it. Make sure you listen to that. We also have an extended WWE interview segment with a number of of conversations, Seth Rollins, Jade Cargill, Chad Gable from a couple weeks ago. That is in the podcast feed as well. Make sure you listen to that. On Thursday, we'll be back with your AEW Revolution Ultimate Preview discussing the retirement of Sting and AEW's first pay-per-view of the year. We'll also have a full NXT breakdown on that show. And then this coming weekend, we of course will have your AEW Revolution Instant Analysis. Let me also remind you first, that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about defy. So please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we'll read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. It's also where you can submit questions and comments for the show that clearly we will read on the air. And if you don't have Twitter or you don't want to tweet us, you can email us, gettingoverpod at gmail.com. Please also remember, I happen to love the number five and i hope you do as well because for five dollars a month and 50 for the entire year you can become an official getting overhead just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over sign up you will get exclusive news posts every friday along with instant reaction audio to raw nxt dynamite and smackdown those are the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling Thank you all for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast for Vintage Cristianini. This is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.